Hello and welcome to the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Tom Martin and we are jumping in the time machine back to May 17th, 1996 to do a full review of the UFC 9 pay-per-view. I'm joined tonight by Bob Bamber. Hello, Bob. Good Tom. And Chris White. Hi, Chris. Hi, Tom. Right, so chaps, uh, tonight, we're gonna, as I say, we are going to do the, the UFC 9 pay-per-view. There's a couple of other things that we're going to touch on initially. Um, do, do a news media section and then uh, uh, we'll see how we go and at the, t- at the end I'll uh, do a couple of wrap up things as well so let's see how we go for time um, so Chris first of all um, let, let's talk about Foxcatcher um, I'm sure people are familiar with the, the film that came out with Steve Carell um, in it and it was a very well reviewed film very well regarded um, I think it was well respected within the MMA industry as well and the wrestling industry um, uh, of, of depicting the story and how it took place. Um, and there's also a documentary series that has come out on Netflix, which uh, I haven't seen either, um, but I'm fully intending to watch both. But I know that Chris, yourself and Bob have seen the full extent of both. So um, over to you to give us a, a rundown on it and uh, give us your thoughts. Yeah, well, it's an absolutely uh, fascinating story that we seem to have sort of stumbled upon through covering the UFC 20 years ago, because UFC 9 is Mark Schultz, who the is sort of the main character within the film Foxcatcher. His one and only MMA fight ever takes place at UFC 9, and it's uh, just four months after the brutal murder of his uh, brother Dave, which is sort of, yeah, the premise of both the movie Foxcatcher and the Netflix documentary Team Foxcatcher, um, which gives far more sort of factual insight into the time spent on Foxcatcher farms leading up to the murder of Dave. Um, there's... It's just a highly uh, interesting story. Um, the film in itself, as you say, Tom, massive critical acclaim. Um, but in reality, there are a few sort of differences from the film to the actual timeline of events. So in the film, it depicts that both Dave and Mark lived on Foxcatcher Farms um, at the same time as one another under the uh, pro- under, on the property of John DuPont. And uh, that, that, in fact, never took place uh, Mark left Foxcatcher Farms um, shortly before Dave ever moved in. Um, Mark Schultz was recently on uh, Chael Sonnen's podcast and he, he spoke very openly about the film and about his time on Foxcatcher Farms with John. And uh, he said that while th- there's a few sort of inaccuracies in the film, such as uh, he, the way it portrays his own personal relationship with jo- John, which, uh, Bob, in the films, they allude quite significantly to sort of a homosexual relationship between the two, which is sort of a complete fabrication. Um, Did you get that impression? Or? No, the, the, not, not, not to that extent. Um, I, I, I guess maybe now you mention it, maybe perhaps, but that, that wasn't something I, I felt while I was watching the film. Right, okay. That's something that Mark has been um, semi-sort of public in his criticism in the film. He said they were never particularly close at any stage. And while they did, uh, well, it, the film makes it look like they shared this drug habit. He said he he actually had a drug habit before he ever moved to the farm and things like that. And they, they weren't particularly close. They actually stayed out of each other's way a lot of the time that he spent on the farm. Um, but... There's rumours that uh, John DuPont was actually, uh, he was gay and had a gay relationship with a wrestling coach from, from a local school. And uh, rather than create that character in a film, in the film, they sort of alluded to this relationship between John and Mark. 
It's, it's, it's only a minor plot point, but it's just something to, to highlight sort of a Hollywood fabrication, if you will, within the film. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, sorry, just I mean, I, I think you know, in, in terms of, I, mean, I watched the film first before watching the for watching the documentary. I think if if anyone's kind of coming to this story cold or it, it even isn't and just wants to kind of you know watch the film again and and catch the documentary, I'd probably recommend watching it in the order I did. Start with the film in the sense that even having watched the film and then the documentary and then kind of found out about all of it, I kind of, you know, you, you watch the documentary and you go, yeah, I can see where, you know, this is inaccurate here, here and here. And I think one, one quite fascinating difference and you kind of pick up from this when you watch the, the Netflix doc is just how, you know, in the film it's about, you know, Channing Tatum playing Mark Schultz and Steve Carell playing John DuPont, where actually in the actual documentary, Mark Schultz doesn't really feature um, it, it's about Dupont and about Dave Schultz, and and you can I watched that and I thought, yeah, this this seems slightly different to everything else. Um, so yeah, but I think in in terms of the two, um, I, I'd highly recommend both. Yeah. So, um, so sorry, sorry. Can I, can I jump in here without having seen uh, any of any of it myself. Would you say that watching the documentary and watching the film with watching UFC Nine, based on the fact that Mark Schultz is one of the fighters within the uh, within the show? Does it add uh, any sort of emotional investment to it? Because obviously you know the story of what's happened to this guy and what's happened to his family. Did it give you a different... Because obviously I watched it. I've never seen the guy fight before. This was his uh, MMA debut. And it, uh, it was very impressive. But um, I didn't know the guy from Adam. So did it add something for you guys watching it? Um, it added a bit in that it kind of indirectly taught me who Mark Schultz was in terms of I, I probably wouldn't have known off the bat that he was an Olympic gold medalist actually I suppose they did say it when he, he walked out mm. um, but it kind of got me in that mindset when he was coming out um, but other than that I, I think probably the other thing was just you know when when, when it kind of got going I, I kind of was able to appreciate more what Schultz brought to, to the octagon on the basis that knowing that he was just a wrestler you could tell that his strengths were very much you know the kind of you know on the ground and the grappling side of things whereas his striking was was one of his weaker areas um but no i i don't know that it significantly changed my viewpoint on it chris it it, it added slightly a, a, a further layer of emotional investment just sort of coming back off what happened in the film tom you, you'll you'll find out and if you haven't seen the film like someone listening to this uh the, the closing scene is uh Mark Schultz making his walk to the octagon for his UFC debut at UFC 9. It's not oh, great. mentioned in the film, but, but that's specifically what it is. That, that's that, just that, the very end of the film. <laughs> yeah, cheers, Chris. Well, that's, that's, that's I my suppose that is a, that is, a, a pretty minor plot point in, in the grand scheme yeah, of things. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. It, it almost felt a bit arbitrary. Would that be fair to say? Just like he, you know, like it, I think if you if you were completely cold on the film, it would be a really strange ending. I think it's just, for me, having seen the film and then watching UFC 9, it, it creates this picture of him taking all this pain into the octagon with him. And uh, in reality, while he does allude to his brother in his pre-fight, uh, sorry, post-fight promo at UFC 9, um, when you look at the, the reality of the story and that he hadn't lived on the farm for, for many years at this point and didn't live like the, the, the way the film depicts the story is so, slightly like a lot less tragic than, and sort of it definitely, as you say, he's not really in the documentary. He's completely, I don't think he's even mentioned really. So it's a lot less, uh, 
centered around him than the film would have you think. So in the film, it's like he's taking all this pain of this tragedy that he's at the center of. But within reality, he's him and his family are just equal victims in like this horrible murder. And it's not sort of centered around him. So I guess in some ways it's like watching UFC after watching the film undercut the ending for me in some ways. But hmm. going in, it would have been it definitely enhanced it for me on in terms of emotional investment. I think that one more thing, I'll mention it um, while I remember, probably um, the biggest Easter egg in the film for me was, because um, the film set in 1987, 1988, and one of the things when we talk about inaccuracies is that the, the timeline is kind of significantly out of whack, and that you watch the, the movie and they kind of imply that, well, one, as we said, that Sh- both Schultz's lived on Foxcatch Farm at the same time, or at very similar times. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about the film. Um, and then, like, it seems to happen an in timeline that, um, Dave gets shot, shot by DuPont. Even the stuff they were referencing was about the late 80s, and Schultz, as, as we say, got murdered about four or five months before this show, i.e.g. beginning of 1996. So there's a bit of a timeline thing there, but my, that my biggest pop of the entire film was there's, um, Mark Schultz, Channing Tatum sat around in kind of one of the, one of the houses on the farms with some of the other wrestling trainers, and they're watching a, a tape. Um, just scouting, you know, in theory, one of their other opponents. Now, this is the one thing about Out of Timeline, because the tape they're watching in 1988 is the tape from UFC 8 from February of 1996. And what's the tape they're watching? It's the Gary Goodridge knockout from the show we reviewed last time. It's that bit where he gets ah. the guy in the crucifix and starts hammering away on the elbows. That's the five-second clip we see. It makes no sense. But I pop for that hugely because not only is it just our timeline, it's probably the most significant five seconds that we've reviewed so far. Mm, I wonder if then that may explain the ending of the film in that UFC gave them permission to use some of the footage from the from the show if they um, uh, put them into the story somehow. I don't know, but um, okay, no, that's interesting. That's interesting. I would have popped as well for that. All right. Thanks, chaps. Um, so I will definitely be checking both those out um, when I can sooner rather than later. Um, so, right, let's, let's jump on next to the, uh, the news and the media leading into UFC 9. Bob, you've got a roundup of this and, uh, I'll hand over to you to take us through it. And then once you've done that, we'll, we'll jump straight into our discussion of the pay-per-view itself. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I mean, I, I feel like I could just put on a tape from, uh, fr- from last month's, uh, or last time's show and just kind of repeat it in terms of, uh, a lot of the stuff we're going to cover in terms of the political situation, but we will address it here in full. I think we begin with kind of, we're in Detroit for this show and we got hit into Detroit and there were people that were trying to stop, uh, the show happening in Detroit. Now, for those people, you know, we have a lot of American listeners, but not wholly exclusively. Laws vary from state to state and certainly in terms of um, fighting at this stage and at this time. Um, and where they were, they were in Warren, Wayne County, sorry, which is uh, where Detroit, where it was going to be kind of, where the uh, event was going to happen. Um, and there was a district attorney called John O'Hare who was attempting to get the show stopped based on assault laws in an, and a 19, uh, sorry, an 1896 statute involving laws against prize fighting, which in those days meant boxing without gloves. So a hundred year old statute was the main premise of their, their attempt to get the show stopped. Um, 
Uh, Attorney General uh, Frank Kelly and District Attorney John O'Hare attempted to argue that the UFC is not a sport and therefore the laws apply sorry, and the event can be banned. A press release from the Attorney General's office listed quote-unquote death as the first of four conditions under which UFC match can end, the other three being a loss of consciousness, unwillingness to continue and disqualification, which I suppose is technically true. Unwillingness to continue being about 99% of that, but all right. Um, and yeah, your, your usual things, they basically brought this up um, and they attempted to get the USC show stopped. Um, and basically, as the verdict came down, um, the judge who was kind of presiding over this said that the uh, 1883 law, which was another one they were trying to cite, is Victorian and puritanical and does not apply to UFC. And to the vast majority of American people, this is not brutal or immoral, he said. The entertainment, the same way football or hockey is entertainment. Um, so basically, the law came down, but it came down with some caveats as I shoot back up my notes here. Um, so essentially, when the, the judge said, you know, it, it, it doesn't apply um, because price fighting cinema was boxing, and this is different. Um, but they didn't want it to look like boxing, so they decreed that the government injunction shut down the show, but all closed fist punches and headbutts would be banned. Merowitz, uh, was, Mark Merowitz, who's the um, SEG representative, was in a position where he either had to agree or had to have the show stopped where he'd take a six-figure hit and thus was in no position to hold his ground on the principle. So, according to the, the law, headbutts and closed fist punches will be banned for this show, as we're going to see in a bit. That didn't really hold up. Um, but let me just see if there's anything else where I can get that. Yeah, the other thing as well to mention, I, I don't want to overdo this because I get the feeling I'm going to be doing this a lot on this show, um, is just about the, the kind of update on where USC is and isn't allowed to be shown. Um, there was a piece... Um, Sorry, where are we? That's right, yeah. Um, so basically, in Canada, it was taken off of pay-per-view, which was a big problem because Canada was doing a disproportionately higher amount of buys than they were doing in the United States. Uh, and it was also banned in much of the Northeast. So in terms of um, their kind of penetration on pay-per-view, they were in the neighbourhood of around 20 to 21 million homes as opposed to 25 million for WWF and WCW events. Um Tom, before I continue, what, what thoughts on any of that? Uh, I mean, I mean, the, the big thought for me is that um, the continued assault on MMA just doesn't seem to be letting up, and John McCain's name just is, is plastered on this every month. Um, and I'm, I'm just flabbergasted, and we can talk about this because we're not quite in the 20 years ago mode here. I, I'm flabbergasted how long it took and how long it's still taking for MMA to be recognised as a serious sport. Because even, even these days, the, in, in 2016, the the, the, the viewpoint of many people and many officials and senior officials is um, that it's no holds barred, brutal fist fighting. Well, correct um, me if I'm wrong, Tom, but was the whole thing in the, the New York State Senate yeah. or whatever, was that was after we did the last show, right? It um, was, It feels yeah. like a long time ago, but I think it was between tapings. It was. Uh, and it that, was, like, was, it was a, that was a magnificent two-hour live stream. It fizzled out towards the end. But some of the just wildly ignorant and just completely idiotic views on, on UFC in 2016. It, it kind of, it felt pretty similar to, to some of the views, not a lot of them, but a, a small minority of the views expressed by some of the people speaking at that event felt similar to, not, not dissimilar to what we were reading here. 
Absolutely, I'd agree, and I, I think that just shows how, but it shows both how far and how how short of a distance um, MMA has come in that time. Um, the fact that you read things back in 1996 and the wording is very similar, and I, I, it doesn't surprise me because it it can be seen as barbaric, uh, barbaric by those that don't understand it and don't understand the sport element of it in the the skills that are applied. However, what I would say, I can understand it back in 1996 because of the fact that there are so many things about the fight um, that are fine-tuned these days. We'll touch on this in the show, but there are there are elements of the fights that you watch back in 90, 1996 where you watch it and you cringe because you think that should not be allowed, um, whereas now they are banned uh, from uh, general MMA fighting for good reason. And, yeah, I, I, I can understand it and I can't. But, um, no, as you say, Bob, it, it was a very similar picture three months ago. Um, I'm, it, it frustrates me to think this was such a problem for them. Um, when really people wanted to pay their money and come out and see this. Now, that doesn't say that it's right, because obviously bullfighting is another thing where plenty of people go and see it, but I don't personally agree with it. However, it's not a sport for me. This is a sport. The, the people that are doing it are signing up to do it. You, bulls don't sign their name on paper uh, to 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 compete. Um, so, yeah, it's a frustrating read and a frustrating listen for me. Um, but I'm sure it will continue to be the case for the next uh, 5, 10, well, how, where are we now? 20 years, so... It's not going to change. Well, first first New York MMA show in uh, November, is it? Yeah, end of the year. So it's November, I believe, or December. Yeah, that's that 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 feels weird saying it. Uh, Chris. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have too much more to add on on the general sort of public debate that's been going on. Just some of the uh, quotes coming out from people inside the UFC around this time. Um, concerning the fact that closed fist strikes and things like that would be banned and the way the UFC planned on dealing with it internally. There's a fantastic quote from uh, Big John McCarthy's autobiography, uh, Let's Get It On, where he's talking about this and he says, uh, uh, Merowitz says, uh, I didn't say there was going to be no punching. I just said I'd make it illegal. When they punch, you tell them that it's illegal. And then eventually we might find them. And then maybe they'll have to pay that fine. And Dan Seven recalled in the same, uh, Dan Seven recalls before the fight, he was told that, uh, if you throw any close fist strikes, you will be warned. And if you continue to throw close fist strikes, you will be warned again. So Seven asked, how many times do I, uh, get warned before I get penalised and he was just told there will be no penalty you just will be warned it's just like so technically they've made it illegal I suppose it's just the punishment for breaking the no close fist strikes rule is minimal so it's just just making a farce of everything both internally externally it's just some of the yeah as as both you and Thomas said some of the opinions about MMA are so I mean, even in 20 years ago mode, they're so outdated and um, just so behind the times that to imagine that people held those views in 2016, let alone 1996, is pretty stunning. Um, But, uh, yeah, as we say, legal in New York now and uh, it's something that modern-day UFC have sort of began to conquer and uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot more challenges that we'll cover while doing this podcast. Yeah, I, I think we're going to be coming back to very similar topics at, uh, at various stages. Just to, just to fill in John McCain's latest involvement, because I, I know obviously as John McCain as someone who surfaced a lot more recently in, in, in kind of uh, as a politician in the States, um, he wrote a letter along with Colorado Senator Ben Nighthorse Campbell, what a name, uh, to the governors of 44 states where USC isn't specifically 
banned and attempted to get them to enact the legislation to ban it. That's brilliant. That's like that. He's proactively making an effort to try and get people to ban it. That's how anti-fun John McCain is. But but there we go. Um, there's totally two more things to go through. These are a bit more interesting, so I thought I'd save these for a second. First of all is the explicit rule changes that have, ta- have uh, happened since the last show. Now, obviously, the, the one we mentioned in terms of the one that was enforced about closest punches and headbutting. Um, they also rejig some of the timing surrounding uh, the matches. Shamrock and Down 7 was made a 24-minute time limit match. Thank God it was 24 minutes uh, with two three-minute overtimes. Uh, and the rest of the card ended up being a one 12-minute round with one three-minute overtime. They were going to have Marco Hua and Don Fry having two minutes, but as we'll find out in a sec, Marco Hua didn't make it to the show, so they just made them all otherwise the same length. Basically, they it might seem a bit arbitrary. They essentially worked out what's the maximum amount of time these matches could go um, and before we run out of time on pay-per-view. And that's why 12 and 24 might seem a bit arbitrary. But if it gets to that stage, they might run into issues. But obviously they don't. Uh, the other thing to know about this show, they have done away with the tournament format. This is the, I think, is this the first Tom first UFC show without tournament format? Is that right? It is the first one ever, yeah. Yeah. Um, so just six matches off the bat, uh, along with the uh, super fight as well. Um, um, quickly, Chris, thoughts on the uh, thoughts on the time changes and that kind of thing. We're 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 a long way away from rounds yet, but we're we're getting there. Yeah, I, I think it's a positive step. It makes sense for the company to enforce that kind of uh, timing limit uh, at, at this stage as well. It, I suppose in a tournament situation, it made a lot more sense. You want shorter time limits on your fights because if fighters are going 15 minutes or 12 minutes or whatever the time limit is on a given night, um, you need to keep those on the shorter end of the scale if you're going to have fighters progress for a tournament. I think time limits make perfect sense. We've got judges now. Judges has been used successfully in four past UFC shows. Yeah, I, I think it's a positive step for MMA. Tom? Yeah, I'd agree. It's a step in the right direction. But um, as we will fully touch upon, there are large changes that need to be made to the super fights, um, particularly who's fighting in them might be my suggestion. Um, but that's that's a different thing altogether. I like I like the shortened uh, the shortened rounds. I, I don't particularly like the idea of um, there being exceptions other than in the super fight. Because I, I, they don't they don't classify them as um, uh, co-mains back in these days. I don't believe at least they didn't, I don't think, I don't remember them saying that. Um, so I don't necessarily agree with that. But it's it's horses for courses. Um, it, it's it's I think it's really interesting to see that the tournament element was stripped out of this one. Um, however, I would say at this stage, in my opinion, um, it was a detriment to the to the overall uh, flow of the uh, of the of the show. Um, but I think that's that's. Uh, uh, a credit to how the UFC currently run their their pay-per-views and how the shows uh, run from start to finish. Because you, do, you don't watch it these days and think, I wish there was a tournament in there. Um, but I think that's because it's all more structured and there's a lot more even flow to it and you're not sat there for f- uh, 30 minutes thinking, um, I want to die. So, yeah. <laughs> well... All right, one way of putting it. Yeah, I think also there's just the point that USC these days are a lot more well-known. 
Um, you can put on a list of matches and everyone knows who they are. Uh, one of the big benefits of the old tournament format was that it was very good at making stars. Admittedly, you generally only made one or two at the expense of six other guys, but uh, we watched those earlier shows, not really knowing a lot about the guys involved. And by the end of the, you know, by the end of UFC 7, you're like, I'm a big fan of Marco Hua and I'm a big fan of Paul Barlins. We get to the end of UFC 8, Don Fry, big fan of that, Gary Goodridge, big fan of that, because we'd seen them two or three times. The one weakness of this is that you're going cold with a lot of guys, and then, you know, you kind of got to make up for that. But fortunately, it was a, you know, a, a, there was enough names on the card, but I'll, I'll speak about some of the changes. First of all, of note, we may have, we, we certainly spoke about this on la- the last show we did. We may not mention it explicitly. Uh, Tank Abbott was uh, pulled from the show after being indefinitely suspended by the UFC for what happened in Puerto Rico, not only causing a fight that we spoke about um in the arena during the show, uh, but also the altercation uh, with Ellen McCar- Elaine McCarthy, sorry, the wife of referee John, uh, and we, we, we spoke about that as well uh, in terms of um, what John wrote about that in his book. Um, Marco Huha, as I say, was scheduled to fight Don Fry. Um, that would have been a really fun fight. Not that, oh, I'd have loved to see not, that fight. Not that Fry's fight wasn't fun, but that was a, you know, we, we, we speak about making stars. You look at the star of, what was it, uh, the super fight? Was it the, uh, not super fight, Ultimate Ultimate? Did, did who I was yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think Ultimate Ultimate might have been Dan Seven. That's right. Yeah, no, the, the winner of seven against the winner of eight. Yes. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's so right. Well, that that would have been a that would have been a, a a really nice matchup. But he withdrew over money after apparently being unhappy at only being offered fifteen thousand dollars for the fight. Uh, Mark Schultz. We speak about Mark Schultz's introduction into this show. He took the fight formally on the day of the show. Uh, Dave Benito uh, was meant to be in the fight, and and by all graphics and previews, he was in it. Um, but he withdrew. Uh, basically, he fractured his hand three weeks before the show. Uh, and tried to hide it um, and eventually got out and the doctors wouldn't clear him um, and USC was speaking with Mark Schultz and despite Schultz wanting a lot of money they couldn't come to an agreement but apparently you know, late notice something happened and also they thought they'd bring him in uh, so Schultz had the quite an enviable task of going one on one with Gary Goodridge who I say quite a nice Little throwback to the Foxcatcher film, given that that Goodridge was on the screen when uh, when uh, Schultz um, was watching it, even though that was completely out of timeline. Um, so that's all of that. So a few lineup changes, and, and the other thing I think to to note, and we'll come back for a couple more comments before we start. The other thing I think really to note is that just to underscore that Shamrock and Seven is is the main event here, and this probably is the biggest fight in the UFC so far i think that's probably the one thing point i really want to underline is that this was a big fight between two guys and i've got some stuff from my notes that we'll come to when we get to the fight in terms of um how they kind of came into the fight but i'll leave that for them uh tom thoughts on those changes yeah i mean tank Abbott is a uh, podcast favorite isn't he um and i would have absolutely loved to have seen that who has uh fry fight because although fry had uh, a very good fight i'm not going to talk about it too much here um i think that would have been a fight that perhaps would have been looked back on for years to come not that fry's fight wasn't but i think perhaps because of the build-up to it because of the fact that as you say the stars were made the names were made um and actually that was a fight where you could have said the ufc has made two stars and they've potentially it might not have worked out this way but they've put on a performance that all that, that stands up to that whereas the actual super fight that we saw um was the biggest fight to, at this point in ufc's history and it was definitely the biggest disappointment 
Um, so no, I, I, and I thought that Mark Schultz, I actually remember in the show that I, I seem to recall that they said that actually, um, Benazzo injured, injured his hand on, on that day. Uh, I've got, I'm sure I've got that written down. But, well, but was, I think that was, that was when they found out. I think that's the whole kind of, that's right. That probably explains how that mix up could have happened or perhaps that's how they wanted to present it. Maybe your UFC, you don't want to present a guy injured and then trying to hide an injury for the sake of a payday when all this other stuff's going on. Maybe not the best idea to let that get out publicly or too publicly. Yeah, sure. When they showed him at the side of the cage and he was sort of had his hands over the cage, I thought to myself, shouldn't he have his hand bandaged up or something? He, his hand looked fine to me, but obviously, um, uh, if it was a four week period before it actually happened, then that would explain it. But, yeah, uh, and I guess also there is a difference between having a hand that is so badly damaged it needs a cast and a hand that's so badly damaged that it looks okay, but you can't punch anyone with it. Perhaps, yeah, but I mean, it, it is on TV after all. I'm, I'm sure not the, I'm sure I'm not the only one that would have thought his hand looks fine. But there you go. Chris? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the company had no choice but to suspend Tank Abbott if the reports of what happened back at, in Puerto Rico are accurate, then uh, absolutely the right decision in a time where uh, good PR is hard to come by for the UFC. So, yeah, that's and then you've got the positive of Mark Schwartz being added, bringing in sort of the foxcatcher element to this story and the negative of, as, as you both said, Don Fry's fight was absolutely fine. But uh, that Ruha and Fry fight would have been something special you imagine so yeah positives and negatives do it but generally speaking um hard to criticize any of the decisions okay so now we're going to move on to our um main event as it were uh we're going to run through the um ufc 9 pay-per-view match by match fight by fight um it took place on may 17th 1996 at the kobo arena in detroit michigan in front of, uh, I believe, the biggest crowd to any UFC event at this stage of 10,000 plus fans, uh, which is a real achievement um, when you consider the, the year and, and the, the sort of uh, what the UFC was up against in, in these days, um, as we've already touched upon in the news before. So uh, a real success story for the amount of people that are turning up to these events. Um, they're, they're, you know, before we before we jump into the um, um, results, there, there was a prelim fight. Um, which was between Steve Nelmark and Ty Bowden. This wasn't this wasn't televised, um, so you, you might struggle to get hold of it to watch it. It wasn't a brilliant fight. Um, Steve Nelmark is uh, karate and Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and Ty Bowden was a uh, is a black belt in a martial art known as war, which I have never heard of, and I don't believe Google has heard of because I tried looking it up and couldn't find anything on it at all. So I think he made it up. Um, I think he just bought a black belt on his way to the to the arena. Um, to be honest with you, um, but yeah, the fight was was fine. It was an average fight, um, but Nel, um, yeah, it, it was brutal towards the end. Nell Mark was throwing some nasty elbows. Um, uh, Bowden's mouthpiece flew out, and uh, the ref pulled Nell Mark up. Um, he, he called it in, and, and, and Nell Mark got the win. So yeah, it was fine. Uh, it's worth checking out if you've got a spare 10, 15 minutes to kill, but don't, don't, don't kill yourself over it. So, um, yeah, next, Bob, let, let's just jump into the results, please, if you've got those in front of you, and then we can, um, fly into the, to the match by match analysis after that. If you could indulge me in a very brief aside, Tom, can you tell me what's significant about the venue that we're in? No. Relates to a podcast that you were on. Does that help? That doesn't help. I've been on quite a few. Does Kobo Hall ring a bell? Yes, it does. I can't think of why. Right. If we go back (laughs) about seven months, eight months to Halloween Havoc in... uh, Ah, 
October of 1995. This you know is what? this is I the very. I, the... I thought I saw the Yeti somewhere, but uh, I, I thought it must have been a load of toilet paper that the fans were throwing into the octagon when it was during the during the seven um, Shamrock match. But... Not quite, but this is the very building that Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan pushed the giant off of. Um, so, wow. you know, there we go. Just thought I'd bring that up. Anyway, the results. Uh, Cal Warsham defeated Zane Frazier, uh, in three minutes 14. Uh, all these, uh, all the non-super fight cards all ended by TKO. Uh, Rafael Carrillo defeated Matt Anderson, uh, in 532. Uh, Mark Schultz defeated Gary Goodridge, uh, after the 12 minutes had allotted, uh, uh John McCarthy deemed that Gary Goodridge's cut was, uh, too significant to allow him to continue. Mark Hall defeated Koji Kitao in what is said to be 40 seconds, but what in reality was about one punch uh, after he broke his nose. Um, in the semi-main, if you like, uh, Don Fry defeated Amory uh, Bitech, I think is how we're pronouncing it, uh, in 9 minutes and 22 seconds by TKO. And in the aforementioned superfight, Dan Seven defeated Ken Shamrock by split decision after the fighters could not be separated uh, in 30 minutes, 24 minutes long time, and two, and two three-minute sections of overtime, although could not be separated, probably couldn't be further from the the truth they couldn't be separated they couldn't actually be brought together no. uh let's let's uh let's move on so um yeah the the, the event starts um do, do you want to do opening thoughts tom sorry i know it's your show oh, but just... well it is my show that's a bit cheeky but now we'll do that yeah so i mean op- opening thoughts what what do, i'll hand it over to you guys what did you think going into this event that the paper uh, the ufc needed to do differently in comparison to the previous events now we've got the the prelim that we went through in the media section in terms of the rules changing uh, open fists, etc., and that will play into how the event played out. Um, but what were your thoughts going in that really you would have liked to have seen done differently to improve on what was done in the previous effort for the um, uh, the UFC 8 pay-per-view? So, Chris, let's go to you first. Um, what I was looking forward to, really, was the fact that it wasn't that tournament style. And I've been quite a big fan of the tournaments that we've reviewed so far. As Bob alluded to earlier, it's a great way to make new stars. Um, and you you get to know a fighter throughout three fights if they progress through the tournament. But with this, there was a lot more emphasis on making sure you knew the guy before the fight went down. We had a pre-fight promo for every guy, a proper tale of the tape. I think they've done that a few times now, but this time it felt slightly more detailed with a lot more emphasis on it. A, that bit, was a, a bit like our me. show, it felt a lot more prepared than the previous ones did. <laughs> yes. Very good. Sorry, Chris. No, uh, yeah, but uh, generally, so I was I was intrigued to see uh, how the non-tournament style went down. Um, it's hard to comment on how I felt going in about the main event because on paper, like as Bob said earlier, it's probably the biggest fight the UFC have ever done by this point. And uh, but I cut you by if you're an MMA fan, you probably know how this fight goes down. So I wasn't looking forward to it. So you go in cautiously to this show because of the main event but if without the benefit of hindsight you'd have probably been really excited for this show mm. yeah yeah okay bob over to you yeah i i think you said what what was i expecting them to do differently i know to an extent we, we said it on previous shows but i think to a large extent also i think they did it um it just felt like uh 
a much better run show in that we had the show opened up and you know it wasn't kind of just them almost feeling like they're killing time for 10-15 minutes we got kind of pre-show interviews with Shamrock and with Seven which nicely teed up uh, the super fight we got the usual stuff with kind of the rules introduction and I think as Chris alluded to as well everything before the fight felt a little bit bigger we got these little like inset kind of 10 second videos that were incredibly wooden but a, a nice attempt at kind of trying to introduce these fighters the tales of the tapes were better one thing we've spoken about on previous shows is tell us about these fighters tell us what they do and and this one more than any of the others it felt like they'd really done their research on each of the guys and a lot of their not their tales of the tapes every time they had a fighter they have a screen they have three or four bullet points saying this is what this guy's about and, and one thing we've spoken about before um and some of them were very specific but they got one of them right really well right they said um that in the second fight they said that carino would uh shoot immediately and then about 10 seconds into the fight he shot for a takedown I'm like that well done i can't argue with that um and i think the other big kind of takeaway as the show started for me we had the show last time in Puerto Rico in front of about two or 3,000 people in a ludicrously hot building by all accounts. This time, we're in Cobo Hall, packed to the rafters, 10,000 people. Felt like a massive show. And I think also just to say that USC, nine shows in, can sell out a 10,000-seater stadium, a 10,000-seater arena. That's nuts for, for, for such a product that gets, you know, only ever gets negative press, doesn't get any television, doesn't really have an advertising budget. They rocked up to a new city in a 10,000 seat venue and sold it that's incredible absolutely yeah I, I don't really know the uh the marketing campaign that was behind it to say you know what the advertisement was for the event but the fact that it sold 10,000 tickets means that either people think that they should see it because they shouldn't so it's one of those things where the government tells you you shouldn't do something so you immediately think oh probably I, it'll probably be quite exciting if I did um looking at the audience it was mainly blokes uh 20s and 30s all drinking beer and it's probably something that you would do that would it, it had a real sense of excitement i would imagine and quite a sense of danger given by the fact that they're all being it's, it's like anything you know don't pr- don't push that big red button the first thing you want to do is press it so um yeah I, it, it was I, I think at this point it's got a real it still holds that underground feeling to it um you know that sort of fight club thing where it's only when you know about it that you know that it's happening um that's, that's certainly the feeling that i get when i watch it um, and I think that that's that's testamented by the the, the ten thousand tickets that were sold. So, yeah. Um, okay. So um, let's move on to the to the event itself. Um, as Bob said, the presentation was improved in this one, and I felt the flow of it was much better. Um, there were a few hit, hiccups here and there, uh, but nothing that took away from the, um, the, the sort of the, you know, the, the the stories being told between fights and the the promos that were given between, uh, before fights that we'll touch on were, were a nice touch and they were consistent as well. Whereas that's something that I've noticed in previous pay-per-views is that um, the you get it for one fight, but you wouldn't necessarily get the same uh, treatment for the next. And that for me just makes it feel messy. Um, if you've got the same, you've got an entrance for every fighter, you've got um, a promo video by them, you've got a, a tail of the tape and uh, an, an introduction and, uh, and, and the, also the fact that John McCarthy referees every fight it does add a layer of consistency. And now the UFC have taken it to another level these days with the uniformed Reebok kits and what have you. But that obviously works. And they, they understand that that works as time goes by. And it's it's fascinating to watch these old events when you realise between each one, the little tweaks that were made to make it into the product we see today. And you can see it in every event that we watch um, like this. Just the little things. Um, rounds when that gets introduced will be the big one for me. But anyway, I, I, I digress. Um, so, cracking on with the show. Um, 
Bruce Beck introduces us in um, and shows us to Jeff Blatnick, who is backstage with Dan Seven, who looks like he's come straight off the set of Baywatch um, in a um, remarkably gorgeous red and yellow jacket. Um, Seven suggests a more slow and methodical approach for his fight versus Ken Shamrock tonight. Oh, dear. A man um, of his word. Oh, yeah, you'd never call him a liar, certainly not to his face. It's worth, worth pointing out, worth pointing out, just reminding people, not that we've covered it well yet, um, I'm going to get Tom and Chris to fill in the, the, the six UFC shows we haven't done, uh, but these two have fought on a previous UFC show and Seven did lose, so that's another little preamble for, for, for this match, is that Seven was basically saying that, you know, I, I fought him before, and, and this is why it went wrong. And so this time I, you know, one thing I'll come to when we get to that match is basically Seven was telling people that, you know, he was going to be more of a counterpuncher. The problem with trying to be a counterpuncher is if nobody throws a punch in the first place, not a lot happens. Uh, but yeah, that, that I'll just throw that in as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, let's, let's not, let's not touch on this one too much, seeing as we, we've got plenty of time when we get there, about 30 minutes worth of, uh, of silence and, uh, and tumbleweed. So, um, yeah, uh, so where was I? Yeah, so next up we've got Don Dragon Wilson, who's backstage with uh, Ken Shamrock. Uh, Ken looks focused for his fight and predicts a chess match uh, against Seven tonight. Um, and we're then treated to a video package which is hyping the super fight itself. You, you, uh, you can't say they both lied. They both very much were telling the truth in these pre-match interviews. Well, potentially, but as I think it was, I think it was Don that pointed out during the fight, a chess match generally mo- sort of happens with moves taking place and sequences of events, not prawn goes to queen, queen goes back, prawn goes back, queen goes to prawn and repeat the process of I'd love to times. see a chess match like that, but yeah, sorry, we, we, <laughs> we, 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 we better stop jumping forward to this match before we review it. Yeah, and I just I just noticed that I said prawn, and if there's any chess uh, aficionados <laughs> amongst us, they'll say it's porn, not not prawn. But uh, uh, if we have, I'll be surprised. Um, okay, moving on. So our judges tonight are Robert Ferguson, Steve Necklier, and Big Luke Campbell, who is a former NFL star uh, and not following former NFL. Uh, sorry, not following NFL. I can't tell you how big of a star he was, but he was a certainly big dude. Um, so. Referees for, uh, the referee for tonight's action is Big John McCarthy, as per the previous events we've watched. One um, very quick note, Tom, as well, because I think this differs from the previous show, is that they had the judges specifically spaced around the octagon. I think for the first one we did, or the first show we had judges, they were all sat next to each other, and the feeling was they were all getting the same view on the action. And so this time they had them, I think, uh, equal, equal intervals around the octagon as well. Uh, yeah. we, still, we still also had the thing of they were very much celebrity judges, not not literally in the sense that they were celebs, although a former NFL player, etc. More the fact that it would feel incredibly odd in 2016 if we open up with Luke Rockhold and Michael Bisping tomorrow night, and at the show, as the show starts, they introduce all three judges and they stand up and wave to the crowd. That feels incredibly weird now, but that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I think back in these days, though, you can see by the fact that they brought the NFL star in, they they used to try and make it part of the show, which doesn't really make any sense when you think about it, unless it's you know. For, for our UK fans, something like Britain's Got Talent, where someone actually cares who the judges are. Um, it's not about that. It's more about the fight that's happening in front of them. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm quite glad that disappeared um, fairly quickly, as I, as I understand. Um, okay, so yeah, after after we see the judges, um, we 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 get introduced to the medical medical team, which is of course completely unnecessary. Um, and it's time for the first fight of the evening, um, which is Zane Fraser 
who is practiced in American Kempo against Cal Worsham, who is practiced in Taekwondo. Um, the notes that I've got from uh, the tail of the tape, similar age, um, similar weight. And on paper, it looks like a very fair fight. Um, I don't know if either of you two have got anything to add at this stage about how the two match up. No. Um, the, the only thing I would say is we've seen both of these guys before. Obviously, we haven't covered the first UFC yet, but uh, Frazier fought at UFC 1 in a losing effort, and Worsham was one of the people Paul Varlins defeated at UFC 6. So both of these guys have got UFC experience. Okay, good note. Cheers, Chris. Uh, okay, so um, Fraser makes his way out before we see him cut a short promo video, which we touched on earlier. Um, former Marine Cal Warsham makes his way out, uh, and we see that he claims that he can take a punch, which probably suggests that he's in the right career. Um, a short promo from Cal, and uh, Rich Gaines introduces the fighters, Big John calls them in, and we're off with our first fight. It's a cautious start from both. Um, Frazier feints a takedown attempt. Uh, he throws a kick, but Worsham avoids it and lands a takedown himself. He throws in some, head, some headbutts and an elbow for good measure. Big John calls out the headbutts um, as Worsham remains in the side mount. Uh, that, that's something that we'll see a lot of as the fights go on. John McCarthy's really obviously been told to knuckle down on the um, open fist and the headbutts that have been banned is something that you hear a lot of in the initial fights. And then by the end, um, it sort of dies off. But that's also to do with the fact that there were no sort of strikes thrown at all in the final fight. But uh, OK, not, not, not digressing again. Um, so um, Worsham lies, uh, lands body and headshots um, as Big John tells him to open the hand. Um, Worsham refuses to let Fraser up and he lands another three stiff right hands to the head. At this stage, uh, Big John has seen more than enough, and he pulls Worsham off and calls the fight. Um, Worsham picks up the, the win, um, and we're told that during the process of the end of that fight, um, Fraser did actually tap out. We just didn't see it. I must admit, in the replay, I didn't see the tap out either, um, but it was claimed by the commentators that it did happen. Um, he did tap them out once or twice, I think. It wasn't like a full-on tap, but he did seem to do it as McCarthy called it. Right, OK, fair dues. Um, so, yeah, afterwards, um, Jeff Blacknick interviews Worsham um, and he says that in the future, his next move is that he wants a shot at the super fight and feels that he's been ignored by the UFC for too long. Um, so, chaps, this fight was uh, three and a three and a quarter minutes, uh, relatively quick. Um, but I, 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 I don't know what your thoughts. Were. I thought it, I thought it was a decent start to the show. Chris. Yeah, uh, it was an, it was a fine fight. I mean, uh... There weren't too much to it. Frazier looked a bit out of his element. He was really passive while standing. And then as soon as it went to the ground, he just looked overwhelmed, quite frankly. And he didn't look like he had the ability to be able to get out from underneath Worsham. Um, it was fairly routine, I'd say, the victory. Um, there, there wasn't much to it. One thing I did pick up on was uh, during Worsham's... Uh, celebrations after the victory. He's going nuts in the octagon with his team. And uh, Don Wilson tries to explain it by saying he has adrenaline and who knows what other chemicals flowing through his, flowing through his body. <laughs> He's high. That. And then there's a pause. And then he says, naturally. <laughs> and, and we move on. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah. I, but, I thought the same thing, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, Bob, over, over to you. What did you make of this one? Yeah, it's 
it, it, it's funny, like you, it, most people that are fans of UFC now presumably weren't watching around this time. Presumably picked it up probably in the last ten years or so. And I, uh, you know, one thing I probably made note on every show, and I'll probably make note of it later on, is how you know these days it's much more mixed martial arts, and that the, the fighters are a lot less well rounded. One thing you've really got to get used to watching these kind of shows at this kind of stage is that people do just submit on the ground because they got no idea. You know, these days a submission on the mat in, in, in UFC is a, is a tap out. Is someone submitting because they're about to, you know, either as a bone is about to break or they're about to pass out. They, you know, back in 1996, people tap out because they just got no idea on the ground and they're just like, you know, I, I can't do anything else. I can't get out of the situation. And also, there is also the thing that because it's one 12 minute round, if you're on the ground after two minutes, it's not like, say, in 2016, where you can, you know, just survive it for the last couple of minutes of the round and then get, get back up and get it on your feet. Once you're in this position, you're just in this position. Uh, Fraser was seven inches taller, very similar weight, which is a, a nice little transition from the Dave vs. Glass show last month. But yeah, not a lot to the fight. Um, Worsham looked good, but it, it's hard to work out how good when you weren't really sure how strong Fraser was as an opponent. Yeah, agreed. I, I don't know what I would make of um, Worsham's claim that he deserves a, a shot at the super fight at the end. Um, I would say there are people far and above him that deserve it, um, judging by the, the last few shows we've seen, in particular uh, a couple of fights that, that precede this one. Um, but yeah, no, decent start to the show and, um, a relatively quick fight. Um, crowd enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, like, moving on. Um, after the fight, we get a, a promo video of Bra- the Brazil boys, um, which is telling us about the Brazilian fighters that we've seen before and that we're going to be seeing more of tonight. Um, and they tell us that anything goes for the Brazilian fighters, um, which I wasn't quite sure what that meant, but, um, I'm sure they were trying to make a point with it. Um, the second fight of the evening is uh, Rafael Carino, who uh, is trained in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, versus Matt Anderson, who um, is practising warrior training. And again, doesn't mean a lot to me. Uh, I don't know if either either of you have heard that before or have gotten hailing to add. From, um, hailing from parts unknown is the only thing I can assume. Well, there was, there was a promo on Raw probably the week before talking about Warrior University. Maybe he's enrolled. Uh, maybe. I didn't see, um, him shaking the fence when he got in, but that would have, that would have added a bit of excitement to it, uh, to be honest. Um, well, to the intro of the fight anyway. So yeah, on the tail of the tape, Carino's got six inches, um, on Anderson. He's six for eight, which is really tall. Um, and he's also got 20 pounds on him as well. So bigger guy, uh, the extra six inches doesn't really sort of uh, well the, 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 there were a lot of people questioning how tall Rafael Carino was and yeah. uh, even the commentators which is you know not not the best look uh, but I don't think Carino was 6'8 um, he wasn't you, you, a lot of guys are around the height of the octagon and he wasn't significantly bigger yeah, no, agreed. I, I, it's one of those things at this point that like, UFC are still in the, in the realm of claiming things and, you know, Huhas was age unknown when he was coming out and, and that didn't change when they showed him in a, uh, I think he was actually in the, in one of the promo packages they showed it. They, they still counted his age as unknown, which is just ridiculous when you think about it. Um, but anyway, uh, so, um, moving into the fight, um, the, we got the fighters enter, entering the octagon and we've got another couple of small promos from them. Um, I also also got a note here that there was a ref- reference to WWF's earthquake. Um, did anyone else pick up on that? I didn't hear it. No. 
yeah, uh, it's worth going back and checking out because they talked about, um, they mentioned an earthquake and I think it was Don Wilson that said not to confuse our viewers with WWF's earthquake. And there was an awkward laugh afterwards by Blatnik. And then it quickly moved on. But it's really worth going back and checking out because it was it's one of the only references to WWF that I've heard. How do um, we get to that reference? Because I know John Tenzer's got some sumo experience, but I... I, 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 I can't I, remember. Carino's nickname is The Earthquake. Ah, so there you go. There you go. That's where it was linked in. Yeah, there you go. So, uh... Yeah. Uh, what, what, one quick, speaking of commentary, one quick thing. I think uh, I don't know whether it was commentary or graphic. I think it was on commentary. One of the commentators said, "Striking on the ground, the new trend in UFC." Again, another <laughs> another weird thing to hear in 2016. Yeah, yeah. When you when you think about it these days, it just it, it seems incredible. Um, right. So uh, yeah, fighters are introduced, and Big John tells them to get it on, and we do. Uh, Carino lands an early takedown. And Anderson moves into guard. Carino lands a stiff right to the head, but misses on the next. Anderson is clearly communicating very much with his corner. And both men are being very patient. I, I, I found that very strange, to add that as a note at this stage, how much Anderson was communicating with his corner. Because he was given so much time. And wasn't even, um, Carino didn't even seem to care that he was having verbal and eye contact and communication with them. Um, he just didn't seem to give a shit. Uh, which I found, I found ridiculous, but um, the crowd are getting restless in this one. Uh, it, it, it was slow. It didn't last that long, um, but for the time that it did, it only lasted five minutes. But the time that it did, the crowd were getting quite bored. Um, Carino moved into full mount and uh, hammered down left and right. They stay in position, and Carino continues on the pound and ground. Anderson gets opened up on the forehead, and Big John has seen enough of this one. He steps in, and the fight is called off. Uh, the Brazilian Rafael Carino gets the win. So, Bob, what did you make of this one? Yeah, um, good little fight. Uh, Carino looked good, um, looked good on his feet, got it down to the ground, and uh, and kind of one of the big takeaways uh, I, I kind of got from this, one of the things I put in my notes, was that I'm not saying he was out of his depth, but Anderson felt looked like he was out of his depth on the ground. And I think his defence actually on the floor was quite good, but it looked like he was struggling throughout. Um, and again, another one, you got a long round. Once you get on the ground, these guys aren't proficient enough yet defensively on the mat um, to be able to get themselves out of it. And there's, there's not a lot you can do. And, and that's kind of, as UFC evolves, one, we're going to see takedown defence improve. It's still very, very ropey at this stage. Uh, well, unless you're Don Fry. Um, but also, we're, we're going to see guys improve from the from the kind of underneath position, and that's not quite where we're at yet. Um, yeah, decent fight. Yeah, Chris? Yeah, this one was billed as being a bit one-sided by the commentary team, and it played out that way. In the tail of the tape, we were told Carino was going to uh, will shoot immediately for the takedown, and we were also told that Anderson was vulnerable on his back. Both of them things turned out to be exactly spot on. Um, I agreed with what Bob said about Carino not quite looking six foot eight, but towards the end of the fight, when Carino got the uh, full mount, I thought he looked a hell of a lot bigger than Anderson. Not in agreed. Uh, yeah, agreed. not in height, but in weight. There was only twenty pound different build between the two guys, but it looked a hell of a lot more. He just sort of engulfed him on the floor. And to be mm. honest, Anderson seemed to do well to survive as long as he did at five minutes. It was, seemed like a bit of a mismatch to me. And 
I don't know what Warrior training is, but considering Anderson's a black belt in it, I probably will not be practicing that martial art anytime soon. Well, as you say, it's just a couple of shoulder shackles, um, check ropes a bit, and, you know. Clothes line. Yeah. And a splash. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with both of you. I thought that, um, uh, Carino, his size, really, he made his size look like so much more of a factor than it probably should have been, especially towards the end. And I just thought they could lie there for half an hour. Anderson is never, ever getting up. Um, but I, I, I thought that the difference between the two was quite, quite clear. Um, an interesting note as well at the end um, in Carino's post-fight interviews that he he wants Paul Varland, which I, I I don't know whether that's something that he's shooting for the moon or he's um, shooting for the ground. But at this stage, I think Paul Varland is is considered a UFC veteran, so it's something that he probably wants just to to put that out there to put himself in the next pay per view for a fight. But, well, if he um, wants Paul Varland, he'd be better off going to the ECW arena. As uh, <laughs> about four weeks four weeks later, that happens. Um, go, the, the, go down to Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, we'll cover that next month on the uh, on the ECW show. So next up, we have the aforementioned Mark Schultz, uh, who is a freestyle wrestling gold medalist um, versus good old Gary Goodridge who um, practices Cooks All One and went up about 45,000% in my appreciation factor after seeing what he did here, because I think he belongs uh, in pro wrestling, uh, or at least he's trying to get into pro wrestling. Um, a hell of a character. Uh, I'm just not sure about his fighting talent at this stage. Um, Goodridge has got a four-inch height uh, increase on shorts um, and also an additional 37 pounds in weight, um, which are my, my two notes from the tail and the tape. Um, as we mentioned before, Schultz is stepping in late for Dave Benatow, who broke his hand in training, or at least uh, that's what we were told at this stage by the by the uh, commentators. Um, the fighters enter the arena, they're introduced, and we see a couple of promos. Uh, and now the, the, the promo from Goodridge made me laugh more than anything else in the whole show um, when he said, and I quote, I'm not no loser, which uh, I just thought was great. And um, the guy looks good in sunglasses so moving on um the fight actually kicks off and Schultz lands a lovely takedown to get us started Goodridge tries to lock a guillotine but Schultz escapes into full guard with some lovely defense Schultz has side control now and tries landing body shots minimal action ensues after this point so Big John eventually stands them up uh, Goodridge at this point has quite a nasty cut around the mouth uh, at least I believe it was around his mouth. That's certainly where the most of the uh, the blood was. Um, Schultz baits him in and lands another takedown. Back into full guard for Big Daddy on the ground. Schultz is clever with his hands at this point, uh, covering Goodridge's mouth to cut off the air supply. And Goodridge spits out his gum shield to show just how well it's working and how much he's running out of gas. Um, Big John picks them up to check on Goodridge's cut around his right eye. Um, so the work is clearly paying off. Um, we start again and Schultz swings a left for Goodridge's eye, clearly seeing the target and aiming for it. Um, Schultz schools Goodridge with an impressive takedown once again, slamming him hard uh, back down to the mat. And Goodridge is gushing blood from that eye wound at this point. Uh, with a minute on the clock, Schultz tries raining shots down on Goodridge, um, turning it up to 10. Uh, he doesn't land enough, clearly. And the uh, fight clock runs out. There's some confusion after the fight ends uh, in regards to overtime that should or should not be applied. But regardless, the doctors stop the fight and call it off. Uh, and it's a big win for Mark Schultz, who was called in last minute and um, looked 
rather impressive, I would say. Um, the post-fight interview with Schultz, um, he says in terms of uh, following up and coming to another UFC event and fighting again, he wants to see what kind of money they can come up with, uh, which is a very honest and very, very fair um, uh, comment, I think, given the fact of how he stepped into this fight last minute and um, didn't actually plan for it or train for it. Uh, and um, also but... the fact he never fights in UFC again? Exactly, yeah. Sh- Schultz, Schultz com- retired with a 1-0 MMA record. Oh. Yeah, what, what better way to go? And they obviously didn't offer him enough money, so fair play to him for sticking his ground. Um, and also, in his post-fight promo, Big Daddy somehow lands a pair of sunnies, um, <laughs> which, which, just, which just makes him look awesome, and uh, he tells us that he'll be back to fight again. So, um, and, and he also tells us, uh, what was it, um, that he, he says he worked on his stamina, but he forgot about the weights, which is a very, very um, flip side of what happened in the last show, yeah, where, he, where he said he'd be working all, too, too much on his weights, but he forgot about his stamina. He's always forgetting something. Last time he had superior mind and superior body, but not superior cardio. And now he had superior cardio and mind, but forgot about his body. Well, and the fact that, like, was was... Was strength his biggest issue here? He just couldn't. His takedown defense was his biggest issue for me. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I just think we should thank our lucky stars that he didn't forget his Ray Bans because uh, that that <laughs> made that made my made my night really. Um, I, I really like this fight. Um, I, I think it helps that you know what you said earlier about talking about affecting your your viewpoint of this. I don't think anything explicitly uh, impeded on my viewpoint of this, but it probably just. It made me indirectly kind of root for Schultz a bit more, knowing his backstory, knowing what happened with um, with his brother a few months ago. Obviously, you know that was that would have been quite a big story at the time. You know, Dave Schultz was an Olympic gold medalist, just like Mark was. Um, and but I, I thought this was one of my one of the biggest things I like about this form of USC is that it's martial art versus martial art, and it's Schultz who has got this, you know, obviously world-class wrestling game. He's a, a few years removed from that. You know, he won the gold medal in 84, and this is 96. But he's still, I think, 37, so he's not he's not ancient by any stretch. And you don't forget that kind of thing that easily. Um, and, and he just, he looked world-class when it came to the takedown stuff and the stuff on the ground. The two things, the two areas that Schultz struggled with him was, one, obviously on his feet, um, when it was about exchange of striking, it almost looked quite comedic the way Schultz was kind of leaning back trying to like what because obviously the other thing is that Mark Schultz probably has never taken a punch um, in, in any kind of combat before, so he was quite wary of that. Um, but also on the ground when they got to the floor, Schultz was was throwing some stuff on the ground, but none of it was really working. Um, so there was there was that as well. And but one thing I did like was when they got them up the second time and it got restarted. Schultz is probably one punch he threw uh, on his feet was right to the cut right to the cut on the eye mm. and then he took him down uh, I really enjoyed this fight yeah agreed so did I uh, before I give my thoughts then Chris over to you yeah I, I pretty much echo everything Bob said there this this was a great fight um, rooting for Schultz going in as Bob said knowing knowing the back story with the fox catcher stuff um, and excuse me for speaking the obvious but what an incredible wrestler he really was in this fight because <laughs> he just took the much larger man apart with his takedowns and Goodridge like just had no answer to them and it's such a shame that this is his uh, Schultz's one and only MMA fight because I'd like to have found another MMA fighter or someone within the UFC who had been able to cope with these takedowns because th- they were just a thing of beauty and, and at this stage it, as 
we've alluded to earlier, where guys aren't well-rounded enough to be able to get out of positions when they're taken down and they're mounted. He, I don't know who who could have beat this guy unless you caught him with a punch before he was able to get you down. He he was a he was an absolute machine. And uh, Goodridge is no joke. Having got to the uh, final of UFC eight, he didn't look like the same fighter here. But I think he was just completely out wrestled and outclassed in, in that aspect of his game. Um, and uh, the uh, post, I just want to touch on the uh, post fight promos a- again with uh, Goodridge talking about forgetting his. Uh, forgetting his weights is just hilarious he has such a natural charisma to him he's so likable even in defeat the the last two ufc shows we reviewed him him in losing efforts cutting wonderful promos just you really root for the guy um in the long term and this all rounds is a great fight uh shorts afterwards in his post-fight promo talking about money he also said that his uh, brother dave was his motivation for him fighting and um mm. It sort of brings it full circle with the Foxcatcher stuff. It was a, it was a fight I was emotionally invested in. I like both guys, had an interest in both guys, and they delivered with a, with a great fight and a uh, very dominant and uh, convincing winner. A, a spot question for you both. Sorry, Tom, before you get to your thoughts. Would you like to guess when Guy Gouge's last MMA fight was? What year? Do you mean uh, now, in 2016? Yeah, as in, when was his last fight? Uh, not. I don't. I don't know how long his career went. I'd have to. I guess 2005. Chris, I was going to say 2008. Uh, 2010. He would have been 44. So not bad. yeah, not bad. Is he, I'm just. I think has he done? This is. Yeah. This. Oh no, we get one more. I'm just looking at his his uh his record. We get him. We got him at Ultimate Ultimate at the end of the year, and then we get him at UFC 19 in March of 1999. Sorry, John. Well, well, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a fight in, in, a, in a few years, and I'm not going to spoil it, when he fights someone that when you look at it on paper, you will not believe the result. Um, but it's not a UFC event, so we won't be covering it. But check it out on Wikipedia, and you'll, you'll see the one I mean when you look through them. Um, yeah, I just thought that Schultz's um, wrestling here just absolutely demonstrated how if you can excel in one form of mixed martial arts at this stage of the UFC MMA um, progression, you can you can literally dominate and you can be unbeatable. As Chris said, I don't I'm not sure there's anyone. I don't think there's anyone in, in, in the on the on the, the roster at uh, the UFC roster at this stage who could come close to him. Um, he, he's the best wrestler um, I've ever seen in MMA at this stage. I haven't seen anyone that demonstrates how powerful and how difficult wrestling can be to handle if you don't know how to stop a takedown and you don't know how to um, uh, attack with shoot takedowns. He absolutely schooled Goodridge here. Goodridge is a guy that I think when we've seen him fight, he's had good and bad days, but he's always looked like a bloke that hasn't trained quite hard enough. He's probably a tough dude. In fact, I know he's a tough dude, but he hasn't got the skill or the years and years of every day in the gym, banging and clanging and working and doing that one side skill that, that Schultz absolutely demonstrated here. It was world class, absolutely world class. Um, if, it's the, if it's the fight you're talking about, Tom, I've got tentative plans for us to cover that show. Uh, so, <laughs> I uh, think it is, I think it is. Yeah, that, that'll, be, uh, that'll be an interesting one, carry on. I, I watched it and uh, the way it ends is, is quite something. So yeah, I think we should cover it, but let's not talk about it anymore. Um, yeah, so no, uh, I I, um, I was very impressed with Schultz, and uh, I um, I'm really disappointed we don't get to see more of him. 
really disappointed because the talent and the the way that the way that MMA goes, the way it's come to these days, is that it's a more much more well-rounded game, and that for me is where the beauty of MMA is these days. Is that you can't be brilliant at one and poor. You can't you can't be brilliant at two and poor at, at the other two. I've said You've it got, before. Is it not more fun this way though? Is it not more fun watching? Well, it might, it might it might be more fun, but as a sport and as as a when you, when you follow it and you 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 analyse it, there's there's much it's much more competitive and much fairer um, the way it's done now. But I know what you mean. The way that it was done back in these days was so unpredictable and so wild um, that you had these fights where it was just uh, it just seems ridiculous the two of them were put together. This isn't this isn't quite so bad because Goodridge is as, as I say he's a hard bloke, but. There's so many matches that, uh, having seen one Mark Schultz MMA match, there are so many matches I wish we'd have seen. I would have loved to have seen Schultz and Don Fry. would have loved to have seen Schultz and Shamrock or Schultz and Seven. There's like three matches right out the gate. Him and Marco Hua could be a lot of fun as well. Hell yeah, hell yeah. It's, it's probably, again, another good thing is that these days, because it's so raw and so new, and, and because we see such few shows, one, one issue USC has today is that there's so many shows and so many fighters very difficult guys to get over 20 years ago there's a show every three months it's very easy to build up one or two guys each show and you get you know we're we're four shows in and there's three mark schultz matches i want to see on the back of having seen his opponents like potential opponents like twice each just a a different era i I think would be my takeaway from that yeah absolutely okay so uh moving on Uh, our next fight is um a very quick fight in all of 40 seconds, um, which is no spoiler because we've already gone through the results. It's uh, Mark Hall, who practices in Mu Ye Do against Koji Katao, who is a sumo and previous Yokozuna champion. Um, and he is the first Yokozuna to pull out of um, being a sumo wrestler, uh, as the commentators told us, and to move into other uh, worlds of fighting, which I thought was a really quite profound thing when you think you know who's the first guy to do that in japan that must mean the world to um the people that you know really take a lot of you know they're very proud people over in japan and that must have meant quite a lot back in the back in this day when um katao made that move so uh, it's a piece of history there um but in terms of the tail of the tape it was ridiculous i i didn't quite believe it when i looked at the two of them standing next to each other but katao had seven inches on hall and he was 201 pounds heavier uh i thought is- it was 100 I've got 100 here. I, I no. have 200. Oh, maybe I missed it. It was 201. It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise there. me either. Um, it was that big. But when you looked at them next to each other, I didn't see it personally. Um, but, hey, that's, that's what, what they were telling us. And this is another one of those um, fights where you look at it on, t- on paper and you think, oh, this, this, is, this is embarrassing. Um, you know, we had that whole UFC pay-per-view where it was the small guys versus the big guys. Um, and it was entertaining in part. So it was another one of those for me. Um, but anyway, let's, let, let's, let's crack on. Um, oh yeah, amusingly, we were advised, um, in, when they went through the, the points of each fighter that mobility would be a question for Kital. Um, and when he's 400 pounds, uh, I, I think that's probably accurate. Um, and I think, yeah, so I think uh, one thing I was going to touch on actually that you guys, when you guys were talking about it earlier, those, tailor the tape points where they talk about what fighters are good at and what they um ex- what they might lack in i believe the fighters give those points themselves because when they go through them and i don't know this by fact but it was just by what they were saying they said 
he believes that he X, Y, and Z. I suspect he, it's a combination of kind of fighter. I think it's probably an amalgamation of a few different things. There's a couple of maybe. times where there's very negative kind of, well, not very negative, but kind of negative traits about, you know, cautious approach or not good on the ground. You know, that might be an, in, that might be more of a case of that's an interview they've conducted more than anything else. I doubt it's the case of each fighter submits for bullet points. I suspect it's a bit more <laughs> than that. I'm just thinking that they might have said to him when he was backstage eating lunch, they might have said to him, okay, what do you think you're good at? And he's gone, well, you know, I've I've got strength, I've got power. And then they wrote in the small print underneath, mobility might be a question. (laughs) Uh, But but you're probably right, Bob. It's probably much more accurate uh, interpretation of things. So um, after the entrances, uh, introductions are given and the fight commences. Uh, A very energized Mark Hall literally runs around the octagon uh, for a couple of minutes before landing a very swift right. Well, it's not a couple of minutes, sorry. It felt like a couple of minutes because the fight only lasted 40 seconds. But he ran around, um, very energised, and landed a swift right to Katow's nose, um, which wasn't immediately viewable um, from the fight, but we saw it on replay. Uh, he got pinned to the side of the cage. Um, Hall gets slammed to the ground, and before the fight can continue any further, Big John steps in, immediately calls it off, takes a look at Katow's nose, um, and just says, this fight's over. It's never, it's never going any further. Um, and when we see a close-up of Katao's face, we can see a very clearly broken nose, um, which looked pretty horrid, actually. Um, and after 40 seconds, your winner is Mark Hall. Um, the post-fight interview with Hall uh, is an interesting one because for the first time ever, I believe, in televised MMA, he proposed to his girlfriend. Um, and I don't know about you boys, but I always get romantic after breaking a sumo wrestler's nose. Um, it just puts me in the mood. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, that's something that, um, I've never seen before, but the, the fight itself was again a bit of, a bit of a freak show. Um, we also see a much better view of the, uh, the nose break after. Um, you talk no better than me, but I suspect post-match proposals have probably happened quite a lot in, in UFC history. You know, that we've had, you know, nearly 200 shows. Well, at this stage, I've never seen one. Oh, no, not at this point. I'm just thinking in the future, I can imagine that happens a fair bit. Oh, I'm not sure I've seen one. Chris, have you? Not that I can think of. The closest I've got is uh, Brock Lesnar <laughs> shout after one of his fights, talking about what yeah. he plans on doing with his wife. That, that was a, a proposal of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> he proposed something. He didn't yeah. propose to her. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah. And, and also, just before I get your, your thoughts on this one, boys, I don't know if either of you know this, but interestingly, uh, Kital... Um, tagged with a pro wrestler called Tenryu, Tenryu, Tenryu. Ah, um, General Tenryu, yeah, he appears. Tenryu, uh, who, who together. Before Raw Rumble, he, he pops up at. Right, but, but together they beat the tag team of Demolition at WrestleMania 7. Did they? Yeah, they did indeed. Go back and watch it. Katal is a much more impressive, um, uh, worker, uh, and a seller than he is a fighter, but then he did get his nose broken, so, um, we can, we can let him off a little bit. Um, but it was it was right on the, on the main card of WrestleMania as well. It wasn't tucked in at the start. It's it's probably uh, fourth fight from the end, uh, fourth match from the end. So check it out. It's worth it's worth worth a look. Uh, in 1990. So yeah, um, Chris, over to you. It was a quick fight. Uh, we probably don't need to spend too much too much time talking about it. But um, uh, how did you feel? Uh, excited? Disappointed? What were your thoughts? I was excited for this one because I remember Mark Hall from I think it was the first one of these we did. He took on Paul Valiant and. Uh, it was a hundred pounds lighter than him, and he looked really good for about a minute, and then Valens just squashed him and sat on him. And I felt sorry for Mark Hall because he looked like a talented fighter. So when I saw him being trotted out with a two hundred pound weight difference, 
I felt really sorry for the guy, but I, I was really happy he picked up the win here. Um, yeah, I'm glad you pointed out uh, Katal competing at WrestleMania is becoming the first man to ever compete at WrestleMania and in the UFC. Um, there you go. Yeah, it was the uh, yeah, it was a really quick fight. Not too much to the fight. It must have been one hell of a shot to cause that much damage. Um, but yeah, it was. I was I was perfectly happy with the way it turned out because. I really wanted Mark Hall to do well here. I thought he looked good when we saw him at UFC 7. So I was, uh, yeah, pretty happy with this one. Yeah, and I thought it was um, uh, uh, quite fortunate for him because the way that the fight was going after that, I didn't see him getting up from when he hit the ground there, when Cattell landed on him. I I could not see him moving. Um, So he looks like he was in trouble. So it was quite a fortunate end to the fight for him, I think. But as you say, um, he's a fighter that I'd like to see more of. Um, for, from from the previous effort and, and from this one, he he's got such such energy and such passion. He, like, I like I like just like watching fighters like that. They're so uh, enthused. Um, Bob, over to you. Yeah, I suppose in a in a in a weird kind of way, Hall was actually a little bit fortunate that he, he managed to do such a thing. Less about the damage and more about the blood. I think he would have managed to break Katow's nose, but not cause such a you know just this kind of dam opening of blood because initially i think mccarthy picks them up he doesn't end the fight um it's only afterwards they decide that he cut not for to continue and hall's not in great shape you know uh, under on the mat under a guy who's 200 pounds heavier that probably wouldn't have ended well so uh, as much as he did break his nose you can't call that bad luck or good luck sorry a little bit fortunate that it caused so much blood to the point where mccarthy had to stand it up yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I thought that it was an excellent spot from, from John, actually. It's one thing that you can really tell the guy knows what he's doing um, when he called it. And literally, he had to, he called it, but then he had to sit Katow up and have a proper look at it and say, yep, yep, it's broken. Um, so he spotted it like that. Uh, so I was very impressed. Um, and it was a shame. It's a, it's a disappointment. But I'm sure we'll see more of Mark Hall um, as, we, as we go into the future. Um, so before we get on to the next fight, there were a couple of interesting points um, between this fight and the next. I just wanted to touch on, again, we won't spend too much time on them, but they are interesting nonetheless. Um, there was a poll done, uh, an online poll. Um, oh, God, I forgot about this. Yeah, go yeah. it up. Um, and it, it, it confirmed that 92% of fans that voted in the poll uh, thought at this stage in May 1996 that women should fight in UFC. Um, which is really interesting when you think, obviously, about where UFC has gone since then. But also, 20 years ago, with all this bad, you know, bad um, press that the UFC and MMA is getting, people still think that women should um, be able to fight in UFC. Because, you know, we've got to be honest, things were different uh, 20 years ago. Um, you know, equal rights have come a long way in the last 20 years. And the fact that people would like to see women fighting at this stage, I think it's great. I think it's great. And I think that's probably what spurred on um, a number of the, not this directly, but the, the belief that people wanted to see it is what spurred a lot of the female fighters on that we see um, today engaging in the sport. So before I jump onto the next one, what do, what do you guys make of that point? Chris? Well, I think it was uh, one of them things is absolutely stunning to me in the way that... Uh, so much of the poll was uh, positive at this stage, like considering how long it took for the UFC to bring it in. Um, the the amount of seeming support it had at this stage was was crazy to me. And I, considering the UFC would even consider something like that at this stage, where they're they're really struggling in the mainstream media to get any sort of legitimacy or or um, 
respect and they're being tarnished with brutality. I don't think introducing women would be on the agenda or on the horizon for a long time. So for them to have a poll like this was pretty stunning to me. And I was even more shocked by the uh, results. I mean, women's MMA is like been a massive fan of it. It's been one of the best parts of the modern day UFC product and what's been going on in their two divisions. And it's been probably one of the best part. Yeah. That the rise of Conor McGregor, generally speaking, have been the the two big recent uh, storylines in modern day UFC, and have somewhat carried the company through some of their best financial years. So I mean, it, you, at this stage, I was shocked that it was even being mentioned. I know a lot changes in the twenty years that follow this in terms of company ownership and strategy and whatnot, but it's just, it, I wouldn't have expected this to crop up for a long, long time. Mm, yeah, and I, I was also shocked that that many people had the internet back in 1996, because I certainly didn't. Um, but You say this every show, Tom, it's not, we're not that primitive. Um, <laughs> I, think not, well, I, I don't think I got computer at home until you know, 2000, I don't think I got the internet at home until 2000, 2001, but you know, it, it, we had a computer in 96, so I don't think it's, you know, Lucky this, you. this was in equatorial South Devon, you know, like <laughs> in, in terms of, uh, in terms of technology, I suspect at this point it was fairly well moving. I suppose the one, yeah, I would completely agree with everything you said. I think it was an incredibly surprising result, but I would frame it by saying that this would have been a poll of UFC fans. And so to an extent, I can see you asking, you know, how many, you know, 200 people who are watching the show, do you want to see women fight? I can, to a point, see they go, yeah, probably be quite fun. Whereas I think if you imagine, if you ask just the general population, it probably would have been significantly different. Yeah, I, I'd agree. But I, I would also add, add a slight caveat that if you look at the audience, that, that you literally take a sample of the audience when you see the crowd shots at the UFC 9 pay-per-view, it does surprise me that, that you know, it's. I, I didn't see many women. I probably saw two or three women uh, in, a, in a crowd of 10,000. Obviously, you didn't see all 10,000, but uh, I was pleasantly surprised by the results. Um, and I'm also predicting that uh, Dana White didn't see the results because um, he made the famous quote of saying that he would never see women fight in UFC. Um, and that was in about 2000, I think, or 2002. Um, yeah, so uh, that's that's my prediction. How times uh, change. How they change. And also, the other interesting point to note here before the next fight um, is that we're told that Don the Dragon Wilson is negotiating a fight in the UFC um, with Jeff Blatnick as his coach. Uh, I did a bit of research into this and nothing ever came of it, unfortunately. So we can't talk about it a lot. Um, but I thought it was really exciting. It, it, it equates to, again, we talk about pro wrestling, but when a, a commentator jumps in the ring, um, and you, 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 no, I'm on. sure it doesn't equate very, like that. Generally, when a contact well, comes right, you... in, in wrestling, it's Michael <laughs> Cole or Jim Ross. We're talking about <laughs> a, a skilled martial artist here. Well, back in these days, it was Vince McMahon and Jerry, Jerry the King Lawler. So, you know, it's, it's slightly different, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, I just, I guess my, my point being, um, I was excited by the prospect of it. Um, and I'm really disappointed it never came to anything because I understand he mentioned it on a number of shows that he was planning to do it. And he said, if enough people want me to do it, I will. Um, so I'm presuming that the overall uh, result was that not that many people um, <laughs> wanted him to, doesn't by the fact that he never did. Um, but I would have liked to have seen it anyway, because it, it probably would have been a bit better than his commentary, which is patchy at best. So um, moving on, um, our next fight. Um, uh, is a, a, a real barnstormer. This was um, Amaury Bateshi, 
um, who uh, practices in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu against Don Fry, uh, the baddest man on the planet. Who are you, Mike Tyson? And Don Fry practices wrestling as well. That's his key, uh, key training, um, key school that he trains in. Um, in terms of the tail of the tape, Fry has height and weight advantage. Um, he's got 25 pounds on Bitesh at this stage. Um, and the commentators push this one as Brazil versus USA, um, which isn't too far removed from the Russia versus USA of Rocky Four, which happened about eight years before this or 10 years before this. Um, and I'm surprised they're still pushing that because they're trying to push to international markets. But they might just be saying if you're Brazil, um, you, you, you've got you've got a place here. So um, the entrances are made um, and the Predator looks as much of a beast as he ever has. Um, Don Fry rocks a moustache like you will never see anywhere else. Um, he says there can only be one, um, which uh, I tend to agree with after the, the fight. The fight plays out. Um, introductions are given and fight number five is on. Um, we also receive um, a comment on commentary, I think, again, from Don Wilson, where he says, call him Magnum UFC, um, which made me laugh. Um, uh, even if no one else did. How, so how it's, scary did Don Fry look in that kind of picture-in-picture side-by-side when they did the kind of like preview card? Like, yeah, he, he looks like he looks like he will kill you by blinking. I, look, I think his tash would kill you, if nothing else. But still, like, it just... It's like, yeah, it looks incredibly tough. Yeah, um, and, you know, it's one of those things. This is the, something that the UFC benefit from at this stage is they're building the pay-per-view. So we're on number nine now. And the more pay-per-views they get before them, the more they can refer back to. And they say, oh, you might remember this guy from, from the previous event. And when you have that, and you also have the, the training schools that they come from and the gyms that they work in, and you say, well, he trains with this guy and he, he practices with this guy and, and it, you, you've seen him at this event and he beat this guy. And it really adds to the build. And Don Fry's coming in with this here after his previous performance, which was highly impressive. Um, he, he's coming in. And you, he looks like he's going to do damage. Um, and that's going to put trepidation into his opponent as well, um, I think. Um, yeah, so, so they, they make their entrances um, and, and the fight is on. Um, there's an aggressive, aggressive start to the fight, to say the least. Um, both men going at it and it hits the fence. Uh, both are throwing fairly frantic knees and strikes at each other. It was a wild start to this one. Uh, Fry lands more strikes and marks up from the clinch. Um, sorry, marks um, marks potential up from the from the clinch. Amazing defence from takedown attempts is shown by Fry, and stand-up striking is shown on display as well. Uh, a couple of savage knees are given, and Fry takes it down to the mat. Bitesh is bleeding at this stage. Uh, he takes a couple of vicious elbows as Fry is in the side mount. A loud USA chant rings out from the crowd, who are clearly loving this one. Uh, Fry is in Batesh's full guard, and eventually John stands them up to check out a cut on Batesh. Um, the fight restarts, and Fry takes it to the ground fairly quickly once again. He lands a fairly sickening elbow to the back of his head, which uh, made me cringe. Uh, really, really looked harsh and nasty. Um, both men at this stage are looking gassed, and uh, you can tell the frantic start is... Um, uh, showing on, on their on their tanks at this stage. Um, Fry lands a series of stiff and clean elbows uh, to the face, uh, which, again, are just brutal, um, absolutely savage. Fry continues the offence until they're stood up by Big John again. Um, at this stage, Batesh looks completely out of it, and uh, his corner are looking at him. Um, the medical team are looking at him through the, through the cage, um, and I am flabbergasted to say that the fight continues at this stage because he could barely hold eye contact um, 
for, for, for five seconds, let alone uh, go on to fight. But anyway, the fight continues um, and Fry displays his outstanding takedown defense once again. Um, some stiff knees are given as a thank you to Patesh for those takedown attempts. Um, and then there are three solid elbows given from Fry to the base of Patesh's spine, um, which were just really, really savage, um, and some further knees to the head for good measure. Um, mercifully, at this stage, Big John has seen enough uh, and ends it, and Don Fry gets the win. Um, the post-fight interview with Fry um, tells us that he wants to fight one of the Gracies, and all I can say at this stage is, Lord, help them. Um, very, very impressive performance from Don Fry, if I didn't get that across enough in my comments there. Um, Bob, what did you make of this fight? What a fight, my lord. I mean, in, I, I doubt a fight of, in modern day like this would have gone as long. I'm not being critical of John McCarthy, but there, well, what in the sense that, you know, I think a lot of the stuff Don Fry was doing in there is now banned. Uh, can you need people in the head in USC modern day times uh, on the ground? Is that allowed? On the ground, I don't think you can. No. no. Um, and you certainly can't elbow people in the back, on the base of the spine either. No. Um, but just those, those forearm shots where he was like just jamming his forearms onto Bitechi's head, um, on the ground. Look, every, amazing fight. I, I can't speak highly of this enough. Uh, it slowed down a bit after a few minutes. Fry looks like an absolute don. And I, you know, this, don't take any credence in this in the sense that I haven't seen that much MMA full stop. Probably one of the, the best fights, MMA fights I have seen. Most, yeah, enjoy- most wow. enjoyable, certainly. Well, yeah, huge praise. Um, I, I, I think the commentator said that it's one of the best fights we've ever seen. And I, I, in terms of a enjoyment factor and how much, how thrilling it was, I would agree. Um, but it was certainly one of the most brutal fights I've ever seen. It was really, really violent. Um, and as you say, a number of the things that we saw have been cut today because of uh, uh, the severity of the injuries suffered as a result of them, um, particularly those elbows to the spine. I just oh, I couldn't watch it twice. It was uh, cringeworthy. Chris, over to you. Yeah, I, I mean, this this was excellent, this fight. It was brutal. It was frantic and aggressive from the start. Um I know Bob said it earlier, but with Fry's takedown offense in, uh, sorry, defense in this fight, how good would Fry versus Schultz have been at this stage? It would have mm-hmm. been a sight to behold. Um, Fry just took him apart. Um, and at, there's a point where, uh, Big John breaks up the fight to, uh, check on a cut, I think. And he literally has to drag Batech off the ground and like he's so exhausted, but the fight carries on. And, uh, when the fight's over, it's, it's a merciful stoppage because their knees to the skull, their elbows to the base of the spine, it's vicious stuff. Like, truly some of the most brutal stuff you'll ever come across in MMA. But credit to the guy, Bitech is sort of taking it all. He, he doesn't go out, he doesn't tap out, he just sort of lays there and takes it all in. And, and he's on his feet at the end of the fight. I don't know how he, how he possibly could have been, but Don Fry is just a machine. He took him apart. It was... Such an f- impressive performance and a uh, dominant victory for him. And uh, excited to see what happens next because judging, well, considering how the uh, super fight went, you've got to put Dom Fry in one of those ASAP. 
Yeah, yeah, you'd struggle to, um, I think you'd struggle to find someone that would disagree with you at this stage. I just think Don Machine, uh, sorry, Don Machine, Don Fry here comes across as a systematic machine. He knows exactly what he needs to do to beat you, and he does it systematically, piece by piece. He knows exactly the the spots to hit you, uh, to break you down, and so you you are forced into submission, or just you're forced into a position where the referee's going to step in and do it for you. Um, Just so impressive. And this fight went on for nine minutes. And I would say 85% of it was Don Fry um, on the offense. Um, so that shows just how tough uh, Amaury Batesh is. Um, and he really did Brazil proud, I think, just by just he's so tough. You know, a lot of fighters would have would have um, tapped out early on just to get out of it because he was never he was never going to win. You can't at one stage during the fight think this, this might go Batesh's way here. Um, so fair play to him. He went until he was told to stop which I think is remarkable. I feel um, like we could give Bitesh performance of the night just for hanging in there for so long. <laughs> I thought I'd give performance of the night just for turning up. If I was in the octagon and I saw Don Fry walking out, I'd run. I would run. What, while I remember it, pre-match, not odds, they weren't betting on this fight, pre-match thought had Fry as the underdog. I, like, I was reading the, the Observer like the, a couple of weeks before the show. They said Bitesh was the favourite, such as his reputation. Um, it feels like incredibly bizarre like, hearing that, having seen this fight. Um, but yeah, they 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 had Patechi as the favourite. That is interesting. Uh, I'd love to hear what they thought after they watched this one. Well, and and Don Fry said he underestimated him. He thought he was going to do it in the post match interview. Said he thought he was going to do it in under a minute. Surprised, yeah, thought... surprised it took him so long. Scary, scary stuff. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Very respectful. Um, Don Fry, um, he he's a, he can talk as well. He's a, he's a, he's a clever guy. Like he's you know he's, he's got um. His, his brain firmly between his shoulders. And um, I just think he's a credit to the sport at this stage, guys like him. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, as Chris said, if they don't push him into the super fight stage after what precedes this, um, you, you'd question everything that they're doing. The, the famous, you can take my booking license off me, uh, the Dana White quote. <laughs> That's what it yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and now we move on to our main event and our super fight of the UFC 9 show, um, which is reigning super fight champion Ken Shamrock against Dan Seven. Um, Ken Shamrock trains in shoot fighting, and Dan Seven is Greco-Roman trained. Um, before we jump into the fight um, and, and, and really break down Taylor Tape and then go into the fight itself, um, the two, two fighters here fought previously, as mentioned earlier, at UFC 6. Um, with Shamrock picking up the victory in only a matter of minutes. Um, but Bob, I understand you've got some, some additional notes that we can run through just as a bit of a prelim to this super, super, super fight. Yeah, I mean, some of these notes I'll have to probably come to at the end of the match, uh, to say not spoiling anything. Um, but yeah, I, I think one, just to say how significant this fight was. I said it earlier on, but I want to say it again in terms of both of these guys had a lot riding on this fight and it shows in the fight. It was very much a case of losing would have impacted on their ability to, you know, draw money, get future fights. And I know in, in modern day UFC pilots that might seem a bit weird. I know wins and losses matter, but you never ever think that, you know, a loss is going to mean a, you know, for, for, for your two top guys, also up and you get lower down the card. Some guys are, you know, on a couple of fights losing streak they lose again they're going to be out of it you think well in Monday USC once a guy becomes a a drawing card results to a don't matter quite as much to an extent Conor McGregor loses to Nate Diaz 
he then gears up in theory as and when we get it for an even bigger fight with Nate Diaz because it's all about it's more about star power this was more both guys perhaps in relation to how they you know how they were perceived in Japan and all that other thing other kind of thing a very important fight. Um, you know, and, and the other thing to mention, so a lot of my notes actually I'm going to have to come to um, at, at the end, um, but a, a little paragraph I think I've got from The Observer on Dan Seven. Seven studied the film of his prior match with Sam Rock, Shamrock for the past several weeks after having never watched a copy of the tape until that time. He noticed that Shamrock is mainly a counterfighter, so decided not to give him anything to counter. Those haunting, haunting last sentence of that, uh, <laughs> of that excerpt. I've got more to come, Tom, but we'll probably have to come to this at the end because it, it's relating more to how they kind of react to the fight. But yeah, I thought I'd tee that bit up anyway. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Bob. And let, let's just hope that people can stay awake through this one just to, uh, to hear your additional comments at the end. Um, so as previously alluded, this fight did go a long, long time and it felt even longer. But, um, let's, uh, let's, let's just talk about the tail of the tape first. So these guys have fought before at UFC 6. As I mentioned, Seven's got a 22-pound weight advantage on Shamrock, which I'm not sure if that UFC C6 was the same or, 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 or greater or less, but I noticed that as a stone and a half, um, which is quite a, quite a big difference. Um, and he's also got five years on Shamrock, which certainly isn't to his advantage, because um, I think I think he was 38 and Shamrock was 33 at this stage, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, so we know we know these guys, we know what they do, uh, and as Bob said, this is a huge fight. So. Um, the fighters uh, make their way out into the arena, uh, into an amped-up Detroit crowd. Um, Ken Shamrock almost gets pulled over by a fan on his way into the octagon. Um, so it's fair to say um, that with the cheers that Seven uh, receives from them, he is the fan favourite. Um, as previously alluded, we've got a 24-minute time limit on this one and two possible three-minute overtimes. But of course, we won't go the distance, will we? Uh, no, we won't. Um, in, the, in the promo videos before the fight, um, Shamrock mentions his family um, and says he can't wait to see them. And Dan Seven looks half asleep and like he's been woken up from a slumber. Oh, one, uh, one more thing I, I, I forgot to mention. They, they did a lot of um, pre-match. Uh, they did a pre-match video package kind of document, as you say, the kind of, you know, the history between these two. And it should be said there's kind of a montage of clips of, of Dan Seven. And I must point out what great shape Seven is in now compared to a couple of those shots. I'm not saying he was out of shape in those, but he looks significantly leaner for this fight than he did in a couple of those clips. And more to do with him kind of outside of the octagon, just walking around, walking to the um, arena, etc. Um, but I thought Seven looked in fantastic shape. And I think it is also worth reminding people that Dan Seven at this stage is still very much a pro wrestler as well. So it's not like he's doing one fight, maybe doing more in Japan, then coming back to the UFC. He's pro wrestling on the side too, so it's not like he can always keep himself in perfect condition. But that stood out to me. Mm, yeah, and uh, that's interesting as well when you compare him to Shamrock, because Shamrock's in incredible shape. Uh, and, you know, uh, he, he's toned, uh, as much as, you, as much as you imagine that he could be. So, um, that's testament to Seven for how seriously he's taken his training and how hard he's working, I guess. Uh, um, it's just a bit of a shame we didn't see much of that in, in this fight. But, um, so, uh, Big John, uh, calls in the fight, says, let's get it on. And we are off. Um, there's a patient start from the two of them and Seven circles Shamrock for a few minutes without throwing a serious shot or receiving one in his way. Um, boos are echoing from the crowd only a few minutes into the fight, um, and I think viewers are wondering, when is this going to actually start? Um, Big John McCarthy does his best to get it going, 
uh, jeering the fighters on and uh, trying to push them into, into combat. The crowd booed louder, um, and eventually a bullshit chant erupts from the crowd as circling and circling and circling resumes, uh, and nothing happens. Don the Dragon describes this fight at this stage as slap fighting, um, and I tend to agree with him. I think the fighters are struggling and they're, they're suffering from the um, no-closed-fist rule. However, I think they're taking it to the nth degree um, because they're not tending to throw an open fist either. Um, but I do think that's, that, part, that plays a part in it because I'm sure that as the main event, they were told to rein it in more than anyone. Um, I think that's worth noting. Um, Shamrock does receive a small cut under his left eye um, with, a, with a line of blood running down his cheek. Um, and eventually after 10 minutes of nothing, um, Big John breaks them up for a stiff word in their ears in the corners. Um, and eventually after uh, 30, seconds, 30 seconds or so, the fight resumes and we go back to some more circling from Dan Seven. Uh, someone from the crowd throws something into the octagon. Uh, I couldn't work out what it was. It looked like a screwed up cup, um, which seems to spur Shamrock on somewhat. And he throws a combination of left and a right. And then another quick one. And then another. And it seems as though the fight may finally begin at this stage. But it doesn't. The crowd give another boring chant. And the dragon says that he agrees with them. Which is always positive to have um, words of support from your commentary team. Uh, who are trying to sell the fight. Um, Seven finally attempts a takedown. And Shamrock goes to put in the choke. Uh, he doesn't secure it. And they're back up. Next from the crowd we hear a let's go Red Wings chant. Um, as the crowd are obviously officially switching off and have lost interest entirely. Um, and then eventually Seven flies in um, to try and take Shamrock's left ankle and Ken moves into full mount um, on, on top of Seven. Uh, Seven keeps him clinched and won't let him move. So just when you thought something was going to happen, it doesn't because Shamrock can't move. Shamrock manages to throw in a couple of cheeky elbows, um, but he can't. He hasn't got the power to actually throw a proper elbow, so they're just jabs to the ribs, really. Um, we've got five minutes left in the regulation 24, and Ken lands a few body shots on the ground. Um, Shamrock does try to sit up in, all, in, in his defence, and I think he wants to do a pound and ground, but Seven won't let it. Then after a short sweet sequence, Seven eventually flips Shamrock onto his back and finds himself in full mount. The crowd pops for this as Seven has finally done something and he throws a barrage of fists and headbutts in Shamrock's direction, which was a, an exciting finish um, to a otherwise dull and dishwater fight. There's a minute left and Seven starts to batter Shamrock, who is bleeding profusely from his right eye. Um, the normal 24 minutes of time are over and we move into our first section of overtime. Um, this starts and plays the exact same way that the first 20 minutes of the regulation time went. Um, it didn't change. So the first, those three minutes are done and we go into the final three minutes in our second overtime. Thank God. Um, there's more slap fighting that happens and more circling. Uh, Shamrock does shoot and Seven lifts him up. Um, they clinch on the cage, uh, standing again, hit the mat and the fight is officially over. We've reached our 30 minute full time limit. Uh, loud boos rain in from the crowd as Don Wilson uh, gets hit in the face by a cigar butt, which made me laugh because um, it was about the only entertaining thing that I'd seen, apart from that flurry at the end of the 24 minutes. Um, the G-Man calls it, and uh, much to the commentary team's uh, confusion, no one was able to predict a winner here because there wasn't much to go by. And we have a split decision, and it's gone 2-1 for the judges in favour of Dan Seven, who gets the win. Uh, and is super fight champion. 
So, um, wow. Um, I, I don't know where to start. So, Bob, you can do it. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. I mean, it, it, to, to perhaps, to perhaps try and play devil's advocate, to perhaps try and play devil's advocate, there is a very, very good reason why this is a awful fight. In fact, there are a number of very good reasons why this is an awful fight. As I said at the front, neither guy really could afford to lose this fight, and it very much set up a fight that wanted to do that. And from a technical standpoint, and this is like me trying to defend Tony Pulis trying to grind out a nil-nil win, but from a technical standpoint, this was technically a very good fight. Seven wheeled away from Shamrock's right arm, I think. Shamrock stayed close to the thing, and both men very much thought, I'm going to win this fight by not losing it. And we got deeper into the fight. Shamrock got seven down. Shamrock got in a little bit of offence, and then with about two or three minutes to go, one Shamrock made probably his only mistake of the fight, and then he got flipped over trying to get back into the, I think, into the mount. Um, and two, Seven realised that that little bit of offence was going to be enough to give Shamrock the victory. So he managed to get Shamrock on his back, and uh, having had tw- about 26 minutes of almost nothingness, the crowd got something to latch onto, and to a little extent, they kind of came alive. Because they had something to finally get behind. It wasn't great action. It helped the fact that Seven was wearing gloves. Sam, what one thing said after the fight was that the stitching on Seven's gloves opened him up a bit. Um, and then, yeah, we got two incredibly pointless sections of overtime. And it was ultimately an incredibly shit fight but i will at least say it was a shit fight for a reason i've seen mma fights that have just been dull for no real reason i can at least explain it chris it's probably the most positive review of that fight you will ever hear and bob you what a fine effort you did of trying to be positive about that fight but unfortunately i just would happily with no hesitation label this the Worst MMA fight in history. Easily the worst MMA fight I've ever seen. I'm not sure I disagree for what that's worth. <laughs> um, you did a you did a fine job of playing devil's advocate there, but this was just terrible. The amount of times I've written the circling resumes in my notes is a travesty, um, and there's the, so many so many issues with this fight, and as you say, not without reason. Um, I didn't enjoy Don Wilson eliminating any credibility he had as an announcer by describing this debacle as interesting about 15 minutes in. Um, they comment, the commentator said after about two, three minutes, um, that including the overtimes, the fight was the length of 10 rounds of boxing and there's no way you can dance for 10 rounds. And it seemed like the guys heard them and, uh, tried their absolute best to prove them wrong. But they did. But they got on the ground. Technically, he's I, right. I suppose, I suppose technically he's right, but that 90 minutes of action towards the last bit of uh, regulation time wasn't enough to save this fight. Um, there's a few interesting uh, quotes coming. I've, I've seen subsequently. Dan Seven did an, uh, an interview with a Bloody Elbow uh, website, MMA website, and... Uh, he said, at the point where Big John McCarthy stops the fight to give them a sort of verbal beatdown, he says, you guys came here to fight, so by God, you better fight. And he pushed him in the chest, and Dan Seven said, 
apparently said back to him, John, you take your shirt off right now and we'll make it a triangle of death match. I have a game plan and it's not for the crowd or anyone else. I'll stick to my game plan. Which That's awesome. That would have been... That could have turned the worst MMA match in history into one of the best if Big John had just thrown down. It would have turned into WWF, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. It would have saved this match. Well, Dan Seven's a pro wrestler, so he probably would have won that too. Yeah. Well, well, that would have been a saving grace for this match. I was a little bit surprised, I have to say, that Dan Seven won it, but I suppose it's just... Ken Shamrock, I've seen an interview with him subsequently where he says, like... I understand that he landed a lot of punches, but punches are meant to be illegal, so the judges shouldn't take that into account. So when he's on top of me landing these punches, they should have no bearing in the outcome of the fight because they're illegal manoeuvres, which he's got a fairly legitimate point because clearly he did take a beating towards the end of regulation time from the bottom. But if the punches... Scout the punches, who do you award this fight to? (laughs) Well, I mean, you could award it on dance moves because clearly... Slaps. Uh, Dan Seven's pretty agile with all that circling he was doing. He's pretty nimble on his feet. I mean, yeah. It, it... Well, sorry. Before I go, Chris, anything else? Not really. This was a travesty. It was. It was so terrible. Um, and it's just a shame for the promotion, as as we've discussed and mentioned. Probably the biggest fight they've had to put on up until now, and for it to turn up like this. I mean, it's easily the worst of the super fights, and they haven't been stellar by any means. So it's a. Uh, Bit of bad luck for the promotion here, but it seems to be a culmination of many factors leading to one of the biggest disappointments in MMA history. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't say how bad I think this was. I really can't. I know, Bob, I, I commend you for your efforts, but I wouldn't wish anyone um, who considers themselves to be a fan or, or an aspiring fan, e- indeed, of, of MMA to sit through this and try and enjoy it. Um, I found the whole thing just... If, as a main event, that's the fight that should make headlines, and that's the one that people should talk about. Now, these days, people talk about undercards and you know show stealers. Back in these days, you wanted your big names, you wanted your, 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 your household names to, to turn it in um, and to put on a show... I think that I don't I can't I, I haven't really looked into enough of this to know what was done. But I would assume that not a lot was done in terms of just uh, there should have been some form of um, I, don't, I don't want to say punishment because that's ridiculous. That sounds that sounds ridiculous. It's almost like they did they did, they did something t- something bad. But you, you, you cannot be in the main event of a pay-per-view and in front of an audience of 10,000 people and do what they did for 20-odd minutes. But you can't, you can't fight the idea that you're not a sport and punish guys for playing out a sporting contest. No, but there's a reason why this doesn't happen anymore. Um, and, and yes, oh, you yeah, are... It does to an extent. I mean, the reason it doesn't happen anymore is that every year you get five, five you get three five round, uh, three five round fights unless it's a championship match. And they reward people for fights of the night. And generally, you know, but there are some boring fighters. They're just incredibly effective. But I think in, in 20 years ago speak, you cannot have UFC going into courtrooms and saying, we're a sport. We're not pro wrestling. And then have this idea that we're going to punish Dan Seven and Ken Shamrock for playing out what, while incredibly boring, was 
a perfectly acceptable sporting contest. We've all seen football matches that kind of come across like chess matches where, you know, you get two very defensive sides and neither side wants to give an inch. That's, it's not the most entertaining thing, but you don't find both sides. You just say that was their game plan. But it is the problem that UFC, as much as it doesn't want to admit it, UFC is more like pro wrestling, certainly nowadays, but that's what Essex said three years ago. USC is more like pro wrestling than it wants to admit. USC in, in, in 2016 is the company that saw Nate Diaz blew, blow Conor McGregor away and then responded to that by booking Nate Diaz against Conor McGregor because that was the money fight, because it's entertainment. But I think in 1996, you have to extent to remember the circumstances surrounding everything. I don't think you can say, Dan Seven, we're trying to present at UFC as a sport, but, you know, s- sorry that you won the match by pulling off your game plan to perfection. Yeah, but I know what you're saying, but you, you can't get away from the, the fact that they are there to entertain. I know it's a sport. I know they've both got game plans, but... They're there to win matches, aren't they? First and foremost. Yeah, yeah but, but did either man win the fight conclusively? I don't think so. I but think but, but they didn't lose. That's the, that's the key point. That was the, 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 the MO, was do not lose. But yeah, but I don't commend that. And you know, I, I know what you're saying. They're, they're entitled to do what they like. They're professional sportsmen. They can go in with a game plan. But as a fan and as a viewer and as someone who wants to see the sport succeed, this is the wrong type of fight. I agree. I completely agree. I just I, I don't know from a USC perspective what you do. Chris, chip it on us. Um, I, I have to say I'm with you, Bob. There's there was a fight recently. It was actually at the uh, UFC London show i think we yeah another one went to the musasi fight um where he was in complete control uh on the ground and just did nothing really did just enough to stay busy enough that he wouldn't be stood up didn't ever look to finish the fight and ground out a free round victory and he was booed and i felt so sorry for the guy because at the end of the day it's a sport he was coming off a loss he's got to get the win and he know, you, you know that if you try and finish a guy, you're more vulnerable to counter offence. What was this um, any more boring than Shamrock and Takturov? Now, I know Shamrock and Takturov largely took place on the ground, but would it not be fair to say that a similar lack of action happened in that fight to this? I, I feel like this fight is it is unnecessarily, you know, I've obviously only seen it this week, but I feel like perception around this fight is because they were still on their feet for so long. But is it any different than a fight that spends all of its time on the ground and nothing happens there? This was more visually comical in that you had Shamrock planting himself in the centre of the octagon and Seven just circling and circling. It When you're on the ground, you, you, I kind of forgive it more because you understand that you have to be so tight in your defence when you're on the bottom and you, you, you're constantly trying to manoeuvre for a position and it's so so much harder on the ground when you're both standing, neither's trading shots, might not be any more entertaining but it certainly comes across as more boring, I think at least in a comical way and not not in a positive way but it's just laughable like to look at and it's not to criticise the guys for their game plans because they're in there to win the fight and it's a sport and victory is the most important thing, whoever wins this fight is leaving with that championship it's a bigger payday. It's a bigger payday down the road. That's the number one thing that you enter the octagon in your mind. You've got to win the fight. It's not about entertaining the crowd. And I know it's a pay-per-view business, but that's where all the promos and bit hyping up fights before you get to the pay-per-view comes into play. 
when you enter that octagon, it isn't about putting on a show. It's about racking up wins, or at least that's the way it should be, in my opinion. And yeah, yeah. When it no, sorry, go on. When when there's just so little action, but both guys are standing up and so little's being thrown, it is it's laughable on the ground. I can forgive it a little bit more. I think. Yeah, I, 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 again, we won't talk about this forever, but th- I just think when, when the commentators are saying these are two of the best MMA fighters in the world, you hear them say that, you look at what they're doing, and it's laughable. It's entirely laughable. And that damages the sport. I, I, I appreciate that it is a sport, and I appreciate that they can do exactly what they like to win their fights, because that's what they do. They go in to win and to get their paychecks, and they get bigger paychecks if they win. However... They are trying to increase their business and to bring in people that may not be watching every show. And if I had tuned into this one um, and I potentially just tuned in to watch the main event because it had been hyped, I wouldn't have tuned into the next one. And it's a mistake. Um, but that's not to say uh, I think I, I, I retract what I said about them being um, should be some I didn't because I, I didn't mean punishment, but I thought that something should have been done. However, what can you do? Because you can't you can't insist that fighters go out with a game plan of attack, attack, attack. Because that's what makes MMA as beautiful as it is, is because everyone goes in with a different game plan and it's unpredictable. I just found this one incredibly boring and frustrating. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with anything either of you two said. As I say, I just think it, when you put this match in the landscape that it occurs in, when you put this match in that they were, they were in courtrooms the day before this show trying to negotiate. Now, admittedly, this was, this was less to do with whether it's a sport or not, but that, I think that was more kind of the previous show we covered. But you cannot, fight this perception that UFC is pro wrestling over and over again and then fine fighters for not being entertaining enough. In fact, it's like, you know, you get a boxing match that's, that's, that's quite dull. We've all seen them. We've seen Monday boxing matches. I remember, uh, David Hay and Vladimir Klitschko a few years ago. I remember that was a really boring fight. Um, you know, you cannot, you, you cannot book, and not all fights are entertaining. If anything, fights are, impli- entertaining fights implicitly are not great fights because it involves one of the other guy having a weakness sufficient enough that the other guy can exploit it. Like, it, in many ways, like, technically this is a really good fight. Technically it is. But it is the, it is the trade-off you have between entertainment and, and sporting ability. Yeah, and, and you will a, never hear a more positive review of this fight than I just given. You will never hear one as good as that. No, you really, really won't. Uh, I, I'm uh, rather, rather impressed actually that you've managed to se- to sell it slightly. It, I almost feel like I I should go back and give it another watch, but I don't want to kill myself, so no, I'm not going to do that. I, I think you you could watch the first two or three minutes and get a flavour for what happens in the next twenty five. But yeah, yeah. but again, it's like one of those things when we speak about who are and, and valiant in that it's it's one of those things you don't need to be an MMA expert to work out what's going on. You don't need to be an MMA expert to work out the the strategies here. That Seven was always wheeling away from I think it was Shamrock's right hand. He was always wheeling away because he's wary of that. And they set it up at the start of the night. The promos at the start of the night were Seven. You know, both guys, you know, basically set this fight up exactly as it played out. This fight came as advertised. It's just that, unfortunately, two incredibly good defensive MMA guys of this era are going to have a fight like this. It's Shamrock, Shamrock and Taktorov all over again, but it's perceived to be a lot worse because the action's on the feet rather than on the ground. Yeah, okay. Well, I've got no more negatives to say. Sorry, I've blown you out the water there, boys. Sorry about that. But, um, yeah, I, 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 I probably... I, I probably disinj- dislike the fight as much as you get, did, but I can at least objectively admire it. 
Yeah, I, I just tend to, I, I always watch, you know, MMA, boxing, pro wrestling as a fan, and I like to be entertained, and I, the, 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 the fact is, I wasn't entertained at all in this fight. Um, the, the business side of it, yes, the sports side of it, yes, but um, I can't imagine that anyone um, would, would, would enjoy sitting through it. Um, so I'm sure there's lessons to be learned, and we know for a fact that the UFC changed their business model going forward, um, not necessarily as a result of this fight, but I'm sure it played a part in that because there was a hell of a lot of backlash from this, um, certainly in the, in the journalism of MMA afterwards. Um, so, it, it, you know, as we cover these shows going forward, it'd be interesting to see the, the impact that it, that it has. Um, so that's, that's the, there, there's the fights, uh, chaps of, of the, of the evening. Um, let's just do a quick, um, recap and say, um, what was our, what was our fight of the night? Um, who was our performer of the night? And also give the show, um, uh, a couple of sentences as to how you, you, th- you thought it was and, uh, an overall rating out of 10, please. So, um, Bob, let's go to you first. Fight of the night, please. Uh, fight of the night was Don Fry and Amori Batechi with a very, very unlucky second best to, um, uh, Mark Schultz and Gary Goodbridge. That Fry fight's fantastic. Um, all the credit in the world for Batechi for, you know, just taking a hammering. He didn't actually look that bad. He just, once he got behind, he couldn't get back in it. And he didn't submit. He didn't tap out. He got deep into the fight. McCarthy called it probably a good thing because he could have suffered much more damage. Um, but yeah, Batechi actually you know, that that fight is fantastic and I, and when i say it's probably one of my favorite mma fights ever it's more an indication of how little mma i've seen i will say that i'm not saying this is the greatest mma fight in history but in terms of fights i've enjoyed it, it's certainly right up there okay do i need to ask you who your performer of the night was or are you going to surprise me um no i'm not going to surprise you i will say don fry um but yeah i i think again another incredibly unlucky second best to mark schultz who i thought was also fantastic yeah okay and uh so uh okay actually in fact let's do overall scores afterwards chris let's go to you fight of the night performer of the night please uh, fight of the night for me, I'm going same as Bob, Don Fry versus Amari Batech. Uh, it was frantic, it was aggressive, it was brutal, um, and a podcast favourite picked up a victory in a dominant performance, so it had absolutely everything I hoped to see going in. Um, performer of the night for me, I'm going to go uh, with Mark Shaws, just because of that added emotional investment I had in him heading into the show. The fact that he took the fight that day is sensational after eight years of retirement from wrestling competition. And uh, to dominate the larger man at wrestling the way he did, I know he's a world-class wrestler, but Gary Goodridge is a large man with a serious martial arts pedigree, and he just took him apart. So for me, Mark Shaws... Performer of the night, fight of the night, Don Fry and Amari Vitech. Yeah, okay. Well, it's three on three for fight of the night. Um, Don Fry, uh, I, I, I found that whole, that fight to be exactly what I like to see in MMA fights. Um, it was non-stop, frantic. I like the fact that the, the two fighters lost the, uh, the gas in their tank and then it broke down a little bit and we had to see how much, how much they had and how far they could push themselves. Um, but I, I just, I enjoyed it from start to finish, and I would, I can't recommend people watch this fight enough. If you can get hold of it, please watch it. Um, and also, yeah, I will give a shout out to the Mark Shorts fight because that just shows, as I mentioned earlier, how wrestling can, if you master it, how much it can help you dominate an MMA fight. Um, Daniel Cormier in today's MMA talks about how his wrestling helps him and how his takedowns are assisted so much by his wrestling pedigree. Um, and just, you know, look at Mark Shorts here, and you'll, you'll see exactly what he's talking about. Um, 
so that was fire of the night. And performer of the night for me was Don Fry as well, uh, which will be no surprise to anyone, I don't think, because uh, he is the Don of all Dons. Um, but again, a great, a real, a really good shout to, to Mark Schultz, who, who it, it's a heartbreaker that he never went on to fight again in UFC. Um, a great performance from him as well. Um, so yeah, chaps, overall, um, score out of 10 and just some, some closing comments on the pay-per-view, please, Bob. Yeah, um, it's, it's, yeah, we, we've done wrestling shows and we're going to do a lot of, um, WCW pay-per-views in the future where it's going to be really, really fun undercard, awful main event. Um, this is certainly a bit like that. Um, as an overall score rating, I'd probably give it a seven. Uh, no, seven and a half, actually. This is, this is a really fun show. And as I say, you're like, you'll, 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 you'll go a long way before you find someone that was as, as, um, La- sorry, you'll go a long way to find someone who perhaps was as positive on the main event as I was, and I certainly, yeah, certainly I'll, I'll say it was a boring fight, but I can at least admire it. Um, but the rest of the card is good, and it's all, you know, Mark Schultz's story, knowing that, that added a little bit to it. The Don Fry fight is excellent. And also, just a word to USC, this is probably, of the four shows we've seen, I'd say from a production standpoint, this is by far the most polished. Um, and, uh, an enjoyable show. Even so, if the main event is half decent, this is an eight, nine out of ten show, I, I think is probably the, what I would say. Okay, thanks. Chris? Uh, I'm gonna go slightly under the seven. I'm gonna give this one a six out of ten. Really, the Don Fry fight and the Mark Schultz fight. Aside from that, the, uh, out of seven fights, we had two, well, an excellent fight, a good fight. Um, a few average fights, and then the super fight that was very below par. So, uh, to me, 6 out of 10 seems fair. Uh, massively brought down by my opinion of the super fight, though, because all in all, this probably wasn't a bad show, just really leapt down by the super fight. But off the top of my head, not to say that this was a terrible show, obviously, as I've just given it a 6 out of 10, this is probably the worst of the UFC shows we've done for this podcast. I can't. I, hmm. I, um, I don't know that it was I, any worse than the, the the David and Goliath show, was it? Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that. The, that uh, I, off the yeah, top of my I head, think all four it, shows we've seen, I think, have been good or very good. I, I would say that. I don't think we're. I think we're splitting hairs. If anything else, well, maybe so. But I think I enjoyed this one slightly less. Um, the the Don Fry fight was excellent. Uh, Mark Schultz's fight was definitely worth a watch, but aside from that, I'd probably say you could miss everything else on this show. Okay, thanks. Yeah, so I'm going to go with uh, 7 out of 10. Uh, I thought, as Bob alluded to, the production was improved. Um, the structure of the, of the show was better. Um, they're, they're improving at this stage in terms of the flow of things, and as I say, there's, there's a lot of um, uh, consistency being put in place. Um, which really helps to, you know, you're watching a UFC product because of the way that the shows flow and they all, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, everyone gets an entrance and everyone gets an introduction and there's no chopping and changing between fights and, um, there weren't as many camera mistakes. There were a couple, but uh, they were very minor when they cut to the wrong part of the crowd or you see something that you shouldn't. Um, that was, that was minor. So the, from a production standpoint, it was much better. The, the fights on a whole were good. Um, there was one, uh, that was, that was poor to average. Um, and then there was, a, there was a whole, bo- whole bunch of, uh, of good fights, I thought. One excellent fight and one absolute turkey. Um, but I think, you know, credit to UFC. I, th- I, th- I think this, this is a step in the right direction. And I, 
I I would disagree with with you, Chris, in saying that this was the worst because I think it's it's an improvement in a number of areas. Although it had the worst fight I've ever seen um, in MMA to this day. I mean, it had the worst fight we see in the show, but it also had the best. And arguably, you know, if we were putting supercards together with the four fights, I think we you could argue having Fry and Detach as the main event and having the Schultz Goodridge fight as the co-main. So you know, I think there's that as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, th- I think I, I don't know. It's a shame because like Shamrock, Shamrock, he can put in great fights. You know, let's not forget the the, the, um, the chemo fight. That was excellent. Um, that was that was a real good displayer. So it's just it's just like you say, it was the two people that are up against each other um, and a contrast of styles. So um, for me, uh, good show. Um, it, it's it's absolutely worth checking out, and you're and you're missing out if you don't check it out for the um the two fights that we've alluded to and given given good praise to um but an overall uh enjoyable show i would say and i look forward to the next um okay so um just before we before we wrap up there's a there's a, there's a couple of things that i wanted to touch on um just quickly um uh, before before we finish um firstly um we're in june 2016 mode here and tomorrow night um we've got the ufc 199 pay-per-view um, which I'm thoroughly looking forward to as we've got the potential of the first ever UK um, UFC champion um, with Michael Bisping taking on Luke Rockhold for the middleweight championship in the main event. And also we've got Dominic Cruz and Uriah Faber fighting for the bantamweight title. Um, all four of these men, um, well, I should say each couple have fought before. Um, and uh, they're both two incredibly exciting fights for me for a number of reasons. Um, but I just want to do some, some quick predictions um, on this. So, Chris, over to you. Let's go with Cruz Faber first and then Bisping Rockhold. Who, who do you think is going to win it and are you looking forward to the event? Uh, really looking forward to the show. Uh, for some reason, and I can't quite pinpoint where it started, Uriah Faber has long been one of my favourite UFC fighters. Um, so, really excited he's getting a shot at the title tomorrow. And... Maybe with a bit of the heart rather than the head, I'm picking him to this win this one, which I imagine I'll be alone in. Um, but I, he hasn't looked too good in his most recent fight. But I, I just have a feeling he'll get the job done tomorrow. Um, and uh, I, I really hope he does. For the main event, um, Rockhold versus Bisping, uh, having recently watched Rockhold versus Bisping one, to remind myself, and Rockhold just took him apart in that fight, and Bisping couldn't get anywhere near him. And I think Rockhold has improved as a fighter since then. I'm not sure Bisping has. It was only 18 months ago. And I know he just had the uh, incredible win against Anderson Silva back in February, but um, that was not the Anderson Silva that we all know and love. It was a 41-year-old Anderson Silva, far beyond his prime. Um the only thing I, I so this would lead me to say a fairly comfortable victory for Rockhold, but the only thing would be a note from the UFC 199 press conference yesterday, where uh, Rock Rockhold was talking about a MCL tear he currently has. He said he doesn't pull out of fights, he doesn't need his knee, and I mean that could be in jest, but if he really does have an MCL tear. I mean, that's an in for Bisping in my book. So depending on the severity of that injury, Bisping might have a chance. But all in all, I've got to stick with my gut and say that Luke Rockhold, unfortunately for us UK fans, is going to retain his UFC title. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob, over to you. 
Yeah, unfortunately, due to my preparation for this show, I'm probably going into this UFC pay-per-view even colder than I would be ordinarily. Um, so, but also knowing that I think we're all 0-2 on the predictions front so far after the, <laughs> uh, the debacle ahead of the, uh, the, the McGregor Nate Diaz fight where we, uh, we all went the wrong way. Um, but no, in, in terms of this thing, I think we'd all, everyone would love to see it happen. We, we can all dare to dream, but I, I will, I will predict with a reasonable amount of confidence that both champions will retain. Yeah, uh, as much as I would love to disagree with you both, uh, I, I, I would agree. But so Chris, you, you said you thought that Faber, um, will get, will get the win because you're, because you're a fan of his, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Faber guy, so I'm, Mm. officially predicting favour to pick up the UFC championship. Yeah, I, it made me laugh in the press conference when Cruz pointed out his close eyes. I can't I can't look at a picture of him now without seeing it. They're really close together. So just try try not to notice that when you if you're staying up to watch it tomorrow night. Um but but yeah, um two really exciting fights. I just think I think the writing is on the wall in terms of Bisping and Rockhold. As you said, Chris, the um the first fight they had was uh, yeah, 18 months ago and Rockhold schooled him then and Rockhold is so much better of a fighter now he's come on leaps and bounds since then um, and he's he's looking like he's only going to get better I, know he, I think he's 31 um, I, just can't, I just can't see Bisping pulling out at this stage but he will go hell for leather this is his last chance saloon and um, um, as Dana White said today he will not hold back he'll come out the gate and he's going to fly at him so it'll either be over very quickly um, or we might see a slow disposal of this thing. I just, I just can't see him winning it. But uh, stranger things have happened. Um, hence our prediction for the uh, McGregor-Diaz fight last time. And that will bring to a conclusion this month's show. You'll hear in my voice as we uh, we had a quick technical issue in the cut, so we thought we'd come straight to me. Uh, firstly, a thank you to Tom Martin for presenting the show this evening. Thanks, Tom. Absolute pleasure, Bob. And uh, thank you for uh, dealing with me, cutting you off at various points. I will, uh, I will try and get better at that as the shows go on. But it's no, uh, you won't. No, you won't. I won't. You're right. You're right. But I've got so many interesting things to say. That's the that's the <laughs> that's the <laughs> constant battle I'm fighting. But I will, uh, I will do oh. my, I will do my best to try and improve. Uh, Tom, you can be found on Twitter. I can in, can indeed. You can find me at Mark Out Martin with a Y. Excellent, excellent. And a Chris White. Thanks for having me, Bob. It wouldn't but, be, and Tom. It, yeah, it wouldn't be a, uh, it wouldn't be a USC show. It wouldn't be a, a, a podcast statement if we didn't just about cling on to Chris's connection at one point. That's what caused that slight jump cut you've just heard. Uh, Chris, you can be found on Twitter. Yep, I am on Twitter at ChrisWhite14. And uh, I don't know if you're doing shows these days, but I'm keeping your podcast alive by letting you uh, or <laughs> promote it each time. Uh, but where can people find Podplex City? Yeah, Podplex City is in a little bit of a hiatus at the moment. I say a little bit; it's been a while. But you better it bring will... it back now. You ca- I keep getting you. I keep you know, saying promote this thing now. <laughs> this is this is keeping you going. I can assure you it will be back at some point, maybe with a new name and whatnot, but it will be back. But at the moment, there's an archive on iTunes, on SoundCloud. I think we've got about 30 shows up there reviewing various WWE shows from 2015 and early 2016. So if you'd like to head up there and check any of those out or maybe give us a follow on Twitter at Public City, we'll be back in the near future, I can assure you. And I suppose... Even if you're not going to do any WWE shows with your crew, there is the small matter of Revolution Pro Wrestling, Kurt Angle versus Zack Sabre Jr. that us will be front row at next weekend, which I am 
quite looking forward to. Yeah, um, boy. So I, I, I guess uh, in hope we can all find an evening shortly after that show where we can do a, a quick podcast reviewing it for your end because that should be a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, on the MMA front, uh, we're taping this obviously first week in June just because we, we've got to kind of get it out of sync with the wrestling stuff so I've got time to tape it. Um, UFC is back in July. We may end up taping that in about four weeks. Um, so, so to Tom and Chris, keep on your toes for all of that. Um, also, I do also mention, I didn't mention during the show, at some stage uh we will start the process of tom and chris reviewing ufc shows one to six uh, i don't know when that's going to start um and the other thing i mentioned we did tease it during the show uh it wasn't in relation to the was it uh goodrich don fry you were on about tom wasn't it yeah that was that was the fight i was alluding to yeah that, that was from 2003 i'm not thinking seven years in the future the, the fight i thought you were referring to was goodridge against oleg takturov which happens at pride number one uh next oh. year um so that if i can get a copy of that show i'm assuming it's on fight pass and nothing else uh we will well you two will be reviewing it whether i'll be on that show is another story but I, i'm planning on getting uh us to review that at some stage and also while i say it while i'm teasing things in the future the other thing i am in the process of getting set up is a special couple of shows looking at the two mike tyson evander holyfield fights so fans of of combat sports we're not we're not planning to make the boxing show regular thing god knows i've got enough shows to do for this project as it is um but given that one those are two quite historically significant boxing matches two we cover mma we might as well do boxing as well and three mike tyson will become a rather significant part of the wrestling world uh in early 1998 um so i think the first of those shows is in november i don't know who's presenting them yet tom it's probably yours that gig if you want it um, oh yeah and uh I, I won't be on those i wouldn't have thought but yes we will be doing uh those shows as well but that's that's in the future more looking ahead more recently uh or certainly the shows we've just done three volumes for this show already in the can they're already being download and listen to right now volume one me and jeff parker go through the uh wcw slam show what a show that is uh and the debut of scott hall volume two is your wf show in your house beware of dog the wf pay-per-view that takes place over three nights and three you can hear me chris white and chris lacy reviewing uh ecw a matter of respect that's quite a fun show too so those three shows you got to forward to uh not as long a break even in podcast um uploading mode um the next usc show is in july so at the end of july uh the usc 10 review will drop uh it will be at the end of july because my beginning of my august is going to be a fun month for this show um as i am in the country for about 12 days um so that show will drop at the end of july with the rest of them um and yeah so we'll, we'll end up taking that in a few weeks i think but i should probably wrap up this show uh yeah this has been volume four the MMA edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast in March of 1996. Uh, you can find us uh, at Wrestling20RS.com. Uh, Chris has uh, written a review of this show for the website. That will be online probably by the time you listen to this. Um, and, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba. You can find everything you need to know at the website, also at Wrestling20RS on Twitter. If you're on iTunes, you can subscribe to us there, leave us a rating and a review. One day I'm going to try and get an MMA-specific feed of the show, but God knows when I'm going to get around doing it so for the moment you're you're going to subscribe to the wrestling feed as well uh that'll do that i've been bob bamba he's been tom martin he's been chris white this has been the mma edition of the may 1996 wrestling 20 years ago podcast and until next time 
Goodbye.